0: Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Bluefish Design in Tempe, Arizona. Bluefish Design is a full-service marketing ad agency that can work with you on your logos, your branding, your interactive and digital media, your website design, whatever it takes to take your company to the next level. So look them up online, www.bluefish.com. That's B-L-U-F-I-S-H.com. And now for today's episode, uh, we're very lucky today to be joined by Jason Caballero, a great friend of mine who is actually sitting for his master sommelier exam. He's going to give us an amazing inside look into the mind of a psalm, what it takes to blind taste, and gives us a little lesson on some uh, burgundy. So hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: Sounds how are you right boys there. doing? You want to lay in a hammock together? Mm, sexy hammock time.
0: <laughs> yes, it's please. A, it's been a while since I've had three people in a hammock together. I mean, <laughs> hey, dude, don't, you know, let's not rule anything out, you know. <laughs> how, how the hell did you get three people in a hammock <laughs> is the more impressive thing. And I, I can you, barely uh, get in a I, hammock. i, I wonder, to fall right out. I wonder what, like, the Guinness Book of World Records is on the most people in a hammock. <laughs> That's a good question. So,
1: so were you the bread or were you the lunch
0: meat? <laughs> that is, I mean, that's a pressing question. That, that, that might be the actual best uh, way to put that question. It seems
2: like it would be more of like a hot dog, where the two people are stuck into it,
0: and one person's laying it between both of them. So, I'm guessing you brought burgundy then, John. Of course, since it's a burgundy glass. Well, there goes the blind tasting. <laughs> Can you pour a little more in my glass, please? Yeah, I just got a lot Actually, to work with you smell around here.
1: That will you make sure that's not corked?
0: No, that's so, good. So, right. Jason, have you heard about this winery in Napa Valley that's adding Britannomyces to their white wines on purpose? Um, I've heard of someone messing around with it. I don't know too, too I, much about it. I got to pull up this article because it's, it's a fairly predominant winemaker. And she's decided to add it to her Sauvignon Blancs, I believe, first. Mm-hmm. But once you get it in your winery, you're kind of screwed. Like, it's hard to get it out. Yeah, I
1: mean, for, yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to use bleach, you know. Well, I mean, bleach for different reasons, TCA and everything else. But yeah, once it's in, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of there. But, but depending on where you're at, and I mean, in France, they love that, you know? I mean, if you have mushrooms and shit growing out of the wall, you're like, all right, dude, awesome. You know?
0: Especially, I see it more in like Rhone wines, like southern France wines. You'll see a lot more. Brett and the wines.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, their sellers are disgusting. You
0: know, if, <laughs> if you go to the Rhone, they're
1: literally, they're yeah. fucking, they're gnarly. Like, yeah. You know, when you go in, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was Terry Alamon or if it was Klopper. I don't know who it was, but they said they walked in and they're like, Jesus Christ, it was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. But the wines are incredible. So,
0: Argiano is that way for me. Is it? It, it was, they cleaned it up, but I was literally told not. <laughs> It was a friend that told me, he goes, don't touch the walls, you'll get syphilis. <laughs> it was like, whoa, okay. The walls had fuzz on them going down. I mean, it was crazy how gnarly this cellar was, but it was also nostalgic, too. Check. I wonder if that wine's all right. Anyways. It smells... Yeah, it smells a little, little oxidized, but...
3: Yeah, I what think is this oh, 2011.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not in the the wheelhouse. The 90s, everyone wanted to be costerie, and then they messed everything up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's you just you really just good. came from a som group earlier. Yeah, yeah. So we do a tasting Mondays. So. Okay. Yeah, kind of go through. So there's uh, there's four people going for their advanced. And are, are we recording in there? Are we? Like, oh yeah. This has oh been, this cool. Has been nice. Okay, we're know. going. All right. Awesome. Um, so oh, yeah. yeah, you probably should also introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? I'm Jason Caballero. Um, I'm a sommelier here in the Valley. I work at uh, bourbon steak in Scottsdale. Um, and anyways, that's enough about me. Uh, so yeah, so we have a group every Monday. Um, we meet, so we have a, a group of intros that we have that we're developing for the certified. Um, so there's about 20 of them. We have a wait list of another 15. Um, then we have a, like an intermediary group of people that are, that are trying to get their advanced grid down. Um, There's about seven of them. Then we have a a group of captains, as we call them, that, that, uh, you know, they they buy wines for the, you know, for the advanced grid and everything else going on. Uh, We have about eight or nine of those. I think it's nine, um, with four of them taking their advance and one taking their course. So And then one idiot taking his master's exam. We'll see how that goes. Oh, that poor guy. Yeah, sucker. (laughs) Putting himself through all that work. So has that idiot (laughs)
0: actually taken any portion of his tests yet? Like as far as
1: master's? Yeah, yeah. That idiot uh, failed theory last year. (laughs) The the hype is real about how hard that exam is.
0: I, I guess it's probably better to fail your first test. And this way you're kind of set up knowing what you're doing for the next two or three versus passing your first two and going, being all like hyped up and then failing your third. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no,
1: definitely. So, so yeah, I mean, you kind of get an idea of what you're doing. Um, it's really different to, to talk through, through a test. So that's, um, you know, you have to take every question as it comes. It's not like a written test where you can, you can go back to it, right? Like, oh, okay. I remember the answer to that one. you flip back. Um, when, when you're in the middle of taking the test, they ask you a question. You have to address it. You have to answer it. Um, they'll only repeat the question one time. And then once you're done with that question, that's it. So if you remember later what it is, it doesn't matter. They're going to take what you say on the spot. So do you do this in writing or do they sit
2: down in front of you and you answer it to them?
1: Yeah, you answer it to them. So there's uh, for example, I had, uh, Doug Frost and, uh, Jason Heller were my two masters I had and they're, they're kind of sitting across from me and they're just, you know, they're barraging you with questions and everything else. And, um, yeah, you have to answer it right there on the spot, you know, or, or I pass or they can't, all they can do is repeat the question one more time. You can't ask for any clarification. They can't say anything but the the question again. Okay. And that's it. And for these, this is the theory, right? So yeah, just theory. are they giving the
2: same questions to everybody during a certain time, or does just whoever goes in to ask questions just kind of have totally different, separate questions, or do you not know? You have no idea what the well, next person's going to get?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, well, I guess technically I wouldn't really know, but um, uh, they do sequester us afterwards, so, so I'm, you know, it is the same exam you're getting. Um, so everyone gets the same exam. you go in, you sit the exam. when you're done, they stick you in a room, they give you beer, which is nice. you know you have <laughs> beer. and you know we brought cards against humanity. Uh, thank you, Jessica Waugh for bringing that. Um, so we basically kind of scoundreled for a couple hours or waiting for everyone nice. to finish the exam. Yeah, so I mean, it was fun, but you you're not allowed to have your phone, you have no outside contact with anyone uh, until the exam's done. Okay.
0: yeah, so so the three portions are theory, service, and tasting. Mm-hmm there's so much focus put into tasting and everybody always talks about tasting <laughs> i literally feel that theory and service are something that i could pass out of nowhere because no one ever talks about it like yeah. there's there's no hype about it but it, that's a pretty seriously difficult portion of the tasting though isn't it or the yeah. of the the
1: test well you yeah so tasting overall yeah i mean it's um I mean, yeah, you know the way it is. I mean, you know, some days you go and you taste, uh, you're just, you're tasting more of the wines, everything's on fire, you're uh, you're able to describe things, you know, everything's just kind of working, you know, in your favor, and other days you're just, you're, your nose is kind of dumb, and you're not, you know, you're not getting what you need to, and, you know, it's, uh, tasting's probably the one that you can get yourself the most worked up about, and down the wrong path, and then continue to assure yourself that you're down this right path that isn't right. Um, cause you know, no one's an idiot by the time you're with this exam. So if yeah. you're, if you're calling something, you're, you're to back yourself up. Right. You know, and it's usually one thing you get, right? Like, uh, I don't know. For example, today I, uh, I, I got Riesling wrong for vouvray, which is kind of silly, but, um, I smelled mushy apples and that's like one of my things for Shannon Blanc. And then all of a sudden I started smelling botrytis and it was higher in alcohol and, and just kind of backing myself up with it. Um, do you and think it was JJ Prum? I shouldn't have
0: gotten that wrong. Do you think you can sometimes convince yourself otherwise like you know what the right answer is but then you start going down the wrong like some oh, random totally. rabbit hole you're like oh i think i'm getting this well maybe it's this maybe it's this and then when you hear the answer you're like fuck, i should have known that yeah
1: no it's uh um there was a good master that gave me advice that said uh you should only change your mind about uh, about a wine you're calling if you put your mother's life on it um which is really good because you'd always you'd get there and then you'd have some doubt and you're like oh my god it's, it's this no it's this but wait there's this one little thing no it's that and then you'd you know by the end of it you felt so sure going through it and then by the time you're there for the final conclusion you're completely lost it's but.
2: funny i see that a lot not just with wine but a lot of things where people are so sure of something and then they doubt themselves a little bit and they were right the first time but they doubted themselves into getting it wrong the second time it's like you really got to trust your gut in some cases because your brain's probably immediately like i know what this is yeah. obviously and i'm gonna just you just
1: stick with it i yeah. like that so don't put your mother's life on it's probably a really good way to go about <laughs> it <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, the other important thing, too, with tasting is is to make sure but the hardest part of tasting overall. I keep knocking this table. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm having fun knocking. That's table. Right, great table that Damien has here. Right? <laughs> here, use this. Uh, <laughs> right, there, there we go. go. Um, knuckle we'll... rag. Yeah, there it is. Oh, yeah. that sounded gross. That's, you
2: know what? I like the knuckle <laughs> rag. We're, we're going to run with it.
1: Um, oh, my God. I lost my train of thought. What was I saying?
2: Uh, we were talking about second guessing yourself. Yes.
1: So, um, no,
0: I don't have it still. It <laughs> Yeah, that uh, happens. <laughs> so, so you failed theory. Uh huh. So, what made you fail theory? Like, well, can you even talk about yeah, like? Can the, you get, the, tell the, us the question? the question? I can't.
1: Yeah, I I can't say. Sp- You're not supposed to talk about specifics. I can't say specific. Then please questions. don't. No, no, I, no, no. Yeah, um, I, I can't get into that. But it was. Um, uh, it's it was fair. It's very fair. It's not, uh, you know. It's they're not talking about growing wine on the moon and how that would work. That's so
2: funny because my my thing I was gonna say to you is, is, do they ask you a question like, hey, if we colonize the moon, what plant, or, uh, <laughs> what vine would you put on the moon? Because like, I feel like if I was doing my W set, I'd write a dissertation on growing
0: vines on different planets.
3: <laughs> God, that'd be fun. Hey, so.
0: Explain new forms of trellising that's used in such and such a province of China. You're like, come on. Yeah, so and <laughs> I mean, there, there, you know,
1: there are some questions on China you'll get, and uh, and you know, other outlying regions that you know, you just you don't see a lot of the wines, so you don't really study it all that much, but I mean, it's important to know. Um, but it was, uh, I mean, a lot of them were very straightforward questions, um, stuff you know, you you know, you really should know. I mean, if you're going to call yourself a master, so so you know, when I walked out of it, I was like, you know what, it's not, it's not, and a lot of people were, oh, the test is bullshit, and it was really hard, and. And it's unfair, and it was not unfair. You know, these are all things that, that if you're going to have the master's pin on, you should be able to answer all these things. Because it's
2: just extraordinarily hard questions. And- yeah.
1: And, and, I mean, some of them are – the beauty of it sometimes is hiding in plain sight, is just making sure you have, uh, you have mastery of a subject, exactly what, what the thing says. So, you know, uh, for example, you know, so uh, not one from the, from the test, but if they're going to ask you about certain, you know, premier crews and what's special about them and what's going on or soil types or – I mean, you better know everything in the area because you don't know what you're going to be asked. But it's it's usually a straightforward question that you probably have a flashcard on and you just weren't able to recall it at that moment. Um, you know, the positive side is, is I only got – there were a couple questions on sake. I had no clue. Um, but for the most part, everything. I'd, I'd heard it. I'd read it. I had it somewhere. You know, it was probably – you know, just recall. Recall is probably the biggest thing, you know. Yeah. But just like tableside, someone's asking you a question, you should be able to get an answer out to them. So,
0: I mean, if you're a, if you're a heart surgeon, you can't be second guessing yourself. You can't be like, well, man, I, <laughs> I, I, I skipped the upper left valve to concentrate more on this valve, and <laughs> shit. I don't know A-order as, <laughs> as much as like, I should. You need to know all of it. You need to be damn good at it too. Yeah, you know, and and, and I agree with that. You know, it's you should be very
1: well rounded. You should be able to speak on. I mean, someone should be able to come in. And you should have something to say about about just about everything in the
0: wine world. So. And if they let every riffraff. You know, if they made it easy enough to pass, then there'd be a ton of people doing it that y- it would flood the market with Master Psalms and it wouldn't be as prestigious as it is. Like, there's a reason why when you earn that pin, it means a lot. Sure. Uh, I, I mean, to speak on, yeah, I mean, definitely. it's. Uh, they don't play favorites.
1: I mean, it's game day. It's uh, yeah, I mean, You have to come and deliver. They're You know, they're not doing you any favors. Oh, that Jason is a really nice guy. We're going to give him a half point. They'll fail me for a half point. You know, and, and to me, that's comforting to know that they will, that if you do pass, it's because you, you did earn it. Um, but they're also very focused on getting everyone through uh, that's doing it. There, there's no exclusionary. There's no, well, we're going to fail them on purpose. A lot of people believe it's, it's very exclusionary, and it's, uh, they're super fair. Uh, from the little bit I've seen, I've never graded, obviously, for it. Um, but everything that I've seen within the organization so far, where I'm at and kind of being on the precipice of passing, uh they're very fair about it and they want people to pass they genuinely want to help everyone um and make it work as long as you're putting the work in they're you know they'll support you 100%
2: especially since they were people who had to put in the time and energy to get to where they were at they actually know the process of it so they know
0: how hard you're working especially if they're you know trying to get you to pass mm-hmm. so I, that's always a good thing i wonder what wines master sommeliers are drinking when they're sitting around the round table coming up with the questions to ask you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like when they're sitting around drinking (laughs) beers on a Friday night going, all right, how about this question? This will be a good one. Like that's (laughs) gotta be an interesting round room, like table to sit in on that discussion, you know? Yeah. Do do you ever find
2: yourself constantly could go, wow. Do you find yourself constantly like trying things? I'm having trouble time like speaking right now. But do you ever find yourself just sitting around judging everything all the time? Like for people who, uh, so like I did music through college, I'm constantly listening to, you know, different bands and everything, and I'm critiquing every single thing, and I can't really enjoy the music sometimes. Do you find yourself with certain wines just like, oh man, I wish it was this, or this is so off, or this thing, versus just like, all right, cool, I'm just drinking a wine right now?
1: Sure, yeah. I, I mean, I, I have a little bit of a different approach, and, and I, I wish a lot more sommeliers would take this approach that... Uh Um, just to go slight soapbox here. Um, (laughs) I mean, I mean, a winemaker pours everything. they uh, not everyone. There's a lot of soulless winemaking out there, but for the most part, a lot of winemakers that are semi passionate about what they're doing, they're pouring everything into this, right? This is their, you know, their, uh, you know, there's, there's ridicule that could be in the bottle. There's their, you know, their pride, their passion, there's their heart, their everything. They're putting everything into this wine, right? And for someone to just crack this, you know, crack this cork open and, and, Make a decision in 10 seconds that the wine is bullshit and you shouldn't drink it, I, I think is a major disservice, not only to that person that spent their life making this, um, but other people that could potentially like it. And then you're, you're ostracizing people that could. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm originally East Coast, so I'm very opinionated about things <laughs> oh, yeah. that are bullshit. So you, you wear know. the Yankees hat right yeah, now. <laughs> hey, got to rock them Yankees, right? Um, but uh, so, so I'm very opinionated uh, about certain things, but um, I feel you have to really give a wine a fair shake. So I try, not to, I try not to look at wines as like, oh, they should really do this. Or maybe to myself, I'm silently judging about, yeah, okay, yeah. this is a little off kilter. Um, but I will say uh, you really pay attention to every wine you drink, almost to the point to where it's not fun sometimes. Yeah, you know, You're know, you just trying to hang out and relax. You're like, oh, my God, I could be blinded on this. And then now you're looking for markers and, and seeing what's going on with the wine and trying to guess about the process they did and how much oak is there. And, and it really does detract from just being able to enjoy it. I mean, sometimes I wish I could... I think that's why a lot of people going through the court and through the, what they're doing gravitate towards beer because a lot of times you can kind of click your brain off a little yeah, bit. Yeah, with
2: beer. Yeah. yeah.
1: But even then, you're still like, well, how are they making this? Oh, this could yeah, be on the test. Super hoppy, and, and
3: yeah. then this is
0: a better porter than that <laughs> stout over there. Yeah. Even when I'm not selling wine or I'm not talking with Psalms about it, I'm still analyzing wine every time I drink it. It's, it's in the back of your mind. It's something that, even after you've, I've had two, three, four bottles with friends, I'm still always analyzing. I'm always thinking about the nuances and how it, I don't know, I'm just, it's part of our brains the way they're wired. Yeah, I mean,
1: like one thing I do, every time I try a wine, I literally go through the grid with structure with every wine I try. It doesn't, I mean, it, it could be some Thompson seedless or something and I'm still going through structure just to, I don't know. It's like my weird thing, I guess, but
0: can't can't turn it off.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so no,
0: I wish I could. What was the epiphany moment? Because when I met you, you were a beer guy. I mean, you were coming from working at like a beer bar. I was uh, where you at, originally. Yeah,
1: where was I before? Before I
0: was weren't at, you Q Club or something? No, I was at uh, Zuma Grill. I think <laughs> I <was> at Zuma <laughs> Grill in Tempe. Yeah, yeah, I was there for. A, yeah, that was that was just before. But, but you your wine knowledge was probably very limited at that point. Pretty much nothing. <laughs> and you were definitely nonexistent. not existent. Like were,
2: they maybe just sold. Fetzer there and that's probably it.
0: And you definitely didn't know the idiot that was sitting for his master song back then. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's a different well it's a it's a different guy here now. Uh, uh, thank you. What yeah. kind of an idiot studies all the wine to take <laughs> a test on it? A yeah, huge idiot. But look, look uh, looking at yourself back then, could you imagine that you'd be sitting at this point, right no. now, teaching the next generation of sommeliers in this state and where they're going to go and what they're going to end up like doing. Oh man, that's uh, yeah. So, so that's really cool. You were there for the genesis
1: of of my of my wine knowledge. The first wine that I really liked was uh, one we had by the glass was a uh, Bodegas Marados Prima. R- uh,
0: awesome. Yeah. I was... the, the sediment in that wine was unreal when it we had.
1: Totally it.
3: was. It was right? awesome.
0: Yeah. It, it was. So that was uh that was
1: uh oh Garcia Mariana Mariana Garcia. It was uh, the
0: guy behind Vegas. It, yeah,
1: wasn't it like his side Garcia. project or whatever it and, was it, it was the one he, he did in toro after so he was uh 66 to 96 he was at vegas sicilia he left and then he went over to bodegas marados and well he's doing alto and he's doing a couple other things but um that was one of the ones he did was toro spain and that was a uh, kyle erickson who uh he was the advanced on at the time that was there um before i even knew about the court wait everything. where were you at we were at Olive and Ivy. Together, okay, so. I was like, yeah. we're still talking about Zuma. What? No. no. <laughs> okay, so Olive and Ivy now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. I, Zuma was a good time. Zuma taught me, uh, well, how to deal with junk people, and yeah. uh, you know, uh, well, I, I mean, a lot of other things. It was good. How to manage people. How to, there were a lot of positives out of it. Uh, nothing for wine, but B- originally bartender or a bouncer? yeah. Well, actually, that was funny. So, so I, I bartended in Tucson before I moved up. This was um, uh, late 2004. So, like December of 2004, I moved to Phoenix. Um, and I was bartending in Tucson and I came to get a bartending job. And everywhere I went, they're like, oh, great. You know, you have good qualifications. Who do you know? And I was yeah. like, well, I don't know anyone. They're like, oh, well, we don't have a position for you. And uh, I ended up working at Oregano's. Oh, Lord. <laughs> um, that, uh, well, whatever. If we, yeah. But ter- that's, yeah, drink the Kool Aid. It's a cult. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, tune in uh, next week
0: when we have the owner of Oregano's <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: Mark Russell, I think. Oh, God. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> um so uh this is my ride anyways so uh so i was at oregano's because I, I really couldn't get a job anywhere at the time they everyone's oh who do you know you know what are you doing this and that and i you know i didn't really have any of those bartending um and then i was bouncing at uh it was uh, maloney's at the time it's not Mo- i don't know what it is now Yeah, up on Stetson. yeah yeah oh god what a good time um so yeah, I couldn't it's like really get an Firehouse, anywhere. not Firehouse.
2: It's ter- it's right across from Wasted Grain or whatever. Yeah, I think it, see, I think it was see that was Martini Club Ranch,
1: and then it was six next to it, and then it was I think DJ's yep. DJ's is still there, isn't it? Uh
2: it it changed its name to Shotgun Betty's, I think. Oh, shotgun Betty's No, name? no that was the corner one, but DJ's, yeah, they I think I, I know that building is still there, but I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that
1: was way a while ago. Yeah, yeah, dude. That was yeah, that was a long time ago. So uh got six. Six was a uh, six was interesting. So um so <laughs> yeah, so so I was I was bouncing there for uh you know for a little bit. So I'm like, great, you know, I uh you know, I have this passion for beverage and everything else, and I'm not really doing anything with it. Um anyway, so so it's kind of a far cry to go from that to go to Olive and Ivy, which um, you know
0: we all needed to have that one moment, that one spark, that something that made you realize that the wine business was something special. Yeah. And and some of us look back at that spark and we almost cringe, we're like, ooh, it was that. For me, it was a bottle of 98 Jordan Cab. Nice. And and it was a bottle that somebody had shared with me, and I had had wine a number of other times. It all tasted like wine. It always (laughs) That was it. White wine tasted like white wine. Red wine tasted like red wine. And there was nothing in between. And my general manager kept telling me how good this wine was, so he ordered one bottle from the distributor at that point, and we opened it after shift that night. And it blew me away. It was a wine that tasted like other things. It was the first time a wine tasted like something other than wine. And it made me go, wow, I want to experience that feeling again. And I've been chasing that feeling for the last twenty something years of my life. <laughs> you know, that's high,
3: huh? I like Yeah.
0: It. Because we in our business, everyone always asks us, How'd you get in the wine business? And people mm-hmm. just think there's there's a black and white answer but there's not there's a moment that made your life take a left turn and take a right turn and then you go over the hill and you hit another moment and then all of a sudden you're sitting for your master
1: oh, yeah wow man that's kind of a it's really cathartic moment right right now, you know? <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks damian for therapy
0: right now. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, great but it really is crazy cuz for me i remember sitting in a I've been to plenty of seminars. I've been through plenty of staff education things where they bring you a flavor wheel and you laugh. You're like, ha-ha, this cat pee, ha-ha-ha, barnyard, ha-ha. And you don't really get anything out of it. And I had one Psalm that taught this class and I left going, oh my God, I want to tell people about Val Policella now. And I want people to tell people about these funky varietals. And for you, the the Primo was such a cool, fun wine. It gave us something to talk about. When we had people come and go, give me your driest cab. Dude, you can only give people cabs so much. It became a fun to be like, you know what? Let me give you something else. Let me open your eyes. And, yeah. and that feeling is something that I've always chased in the business, too, is when someone goes, I want Pinot Grigio. And you say, oh, you like Pinot Grigio? Let me, let me pour you a taste of this Kerner or the mm-hmm. Silvaner. And then they go,
3: yeah.
0: well wow, that's, that's, that's like a Pinot Grigio, but that's got so much more. And where do I buy this? How do I find this? And they leave, and they're telling their friends about this wine that they can't even pronounce. or showing them a picture on it. <laughs> but that's something that's that's in, uh, in sommeliers. Yeah. That it's not always taught. It's just something we find out through life that we have.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, and I kind of like what you said, that there's kind of a series of moments. Because the prima was the first one. That kind of, you know, the lights went on, like, oh, my God. I, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see in color a little bit now, but it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and then it was, I don't know if you remember, Jake Danikin that we mm-hmm. had. Uh, so me and Jake went to a, a regular's house. He, he had this great house carved out of a uh, Camelback mountain. Um, and we go in there and he shows us where the wine's at and he's like, oh, I've got all the Bordeaux, you know, the Bordeaux's put away boys, but, uh, pick a bottle out for yourselves and we'll open it. Um, and he's thinking we're just going to grab something quick. So me and Jake are in there for probably 20 minutes. You know, we're going through every wine the guy has. <laughs> um, and we ended up settling on a 1959 Castillo Guy from Marques de Murieta. Uh, Rioja, huh? very modern, but uh, really good. And then uh, I still don't know to this day who the producer is. It was an 85 Le Chambrethon we had. And uh, so, so I mean, everyone always has that first Epiphany run, which is kind of good. The Prima, like, really did it. And then I went all star fucker and had 59. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean, that, it, it ruined wine for me. I went back and I tried to have uh, I tried to have Prima, and I was like, eh, <laughs> yeah, this is for the unwashed public.
2: It, it's uh, funny how that works like that, because that was, mine was brought on by two ways actually one i was dating a girl who was really obsessed into wine so i had just gotten this little wine fridge um i had actually traded a broken ipad or ipod at the time for a <laughs> wine fridge because the guy was an ac unit he came he bought it, he's like i don't have any cash chase so was like cool whatever i was living with four dudes at the time And I was dating this girl who was obsessed with wine. So I went to bed mode, did the five cent, buy one, get one. And I just was grabbing shit off the shelf. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I just don't know this stuff. And I was the same way with what Damien was saying earlier. Wine was just wine. Like, I knew what red wine tasted like because it all was the same. Mm -hmm. So I grabbed this one, and it was Tappy Smallback. And so I brought that in. We opened it. And she was like, holy crap, I love this. This is great. And then I actually was like, wow, that really does taste different. And then we had a sexy time after, so I think it solidified <laughs> into my head that wine is great. It comes with great benefits. And so I slowly <laughs> drifted into wine. I got a, I, I really drank a lot more Malbec. And then I was working at r and when it first opened. Because my oh, first man. bartending job was at Fraser's with like mm-hmm. Kevin and Tim and those guys oh, and geezer. George, obviously. So we didn't drink wine. We were just drinking beer and Jaeger all the time. And so I was at R&R, and uh, somebody had opened up a Achevel Ferrer, I think it was like Finca Mirador, or one of those top $100 bottles. And I was like, holy crap, how is that tapis Malbec that had so, not less quality, but not anywhere near as superior as this other Malbec I had was. And then that one kind of solidified that wine so different. And then I met Damien about a year later, and he poured me that Argiana Brunella, and went, oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> my, my bank account's going to be screwed the rest of my life. And ever since then, I got dragged into the Canubies and more Brunello and then drifted into like high-end California stuff, and I've never gone back since. So it's here, always been through
0: there. Here's the funny thing. He was shopping in a wine shop. That's how I met him. All night, really? Yeah. Easy wines. <laughs> he was shopping, so and I, he was in the Italian section, and I was like, I'm going to go sell him some wine. <laughs> yeah. were, you, were you with... Uh, I was with Vias at that oh, point. Oh, nice. So, okay. of course, I introduced him to a couple of Vias wines, but then... Over the years, and he coming and with him coming to the shop and inviting him and his father to come join us, and we've just become really amazing friends. You know, I mean, there's other stories, just like the wine business. That was the start, and there was three or four other catalysts that yeah. have kind of solidified. And now here I
2: am, you know, what ten years later, making wine for a winery here in Arizona and doing a wine podcast. So That's here we so are, cool. like everybody's just slowly. It's like a big boat. You get pushed and nudged in a direction. All of a sudden, you're just going that way. Yeah,
1: hmm. it's kind of fun how that starts out. You know, you, you know. I mean, in the beginning, you try not to shit your pants throughout the day. And then, you know, <laughs> yeah, here, here we are. You know, so. I was just happy to get home, not completely blackout <laughs> drunk from Frazier's or
2: something, whatever. Hanging out
1: with my friends and drinking. <laughs> oh my God, Frazier! What what a good time that place was. That was you my favorite
2: that? job still to this day. I loved working at Frazier. That was a fun time. Kevin, I wonder what Kevin's doing now
0: was yeah. partner's in some place in Chandler. Coach and Willie's I for a yeah. while. He, he was at
1: Coach and Willie's. I
0: know yeah. that. So with the, uh, the local Arizona SOM scene, you know, it's come a long way in the last eight, ten years. Um, think about it. When we opened Olive and Ivy, we had to bring in a sommelier from another state because mm-hmm. this state didn't even have them.
3: Mm-hmm. It
0: wasn't even a thing. And now, not only is it a thing, but there's, it's becoming almost a career for people out here, but there's still not a lot of options yeah I, I mean, not
1: as much. um I, I think yeah, it's definitely come a long way. Uh, I mean there was uh I, I, see this is what's kind of cool about about the Arizona like psalm scene per se is it's uh I always kind of equate it to uh, let's say you inherit a, you know an uncle's hotel or <laughs> restaurant or something like that, right that was like one of the greatest hotels or restaurants or whatever it was back in the day. you come to take it over, you know, everything's got you know sheets on it it's all it's all kind of put away, but you see. The evidence of what was there yeah you know because I mean you know uh, I mean just to go back in history I mean Bobby Stuckey's from from uh, Phoenix Uh, his first beer was uh, anchor steam that uh, Tom Kaufman actually gave him when he was parking cars for him one night Um, so I mean obviously (laughs) he's doing Frost and doing amazing things Mm -hmm. and I'm with Bobby good job on the whole uh, you know his thing with Jordan Salcido Um, you know Richard Betts uh, you know was here at one point Barbara Worley yeah yeah, Betts is amazing Uh, Worley had a little uh, a little stint she was here for a little bit uh, Tresner was here. Laura Williamson was here. Um, and then, uh, I mean, Tresner was a server at uh cafe terracotta down in Tucson, you know, and then they had, uh, you know, uh, oh my God, was it? Taracis, which one, the Italian restaurant he worked at. No, that was uh well, there was Anthony's that had a grand award. That was Dale Sparks. Yep. Uh, Dale, uh, you know, he's the only one, uh, the only two grand awards in Arizona were done by Dale, uh, both, which is cool. He got it at, uh, the Phoenician too when he was there, but he, I think he passed in the nineties. He passed as advanced. I think it was yeah ninety one. Kaufman was in the eighties. Steven Johnson was in the eighties. Um, so there's only six people that are advanced.
0: Most of the people that sit in your group were not born when those guys passed their exams. <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. No, you know, like and- that. That's it. Showcases where we're going. You know, it was you had the old guard and nobody was really coming up in it. And mm-hmm. and especially in Arizona, I mean, you had you talk about some of these older guys, but then. Through the nineties, early two thousands, there was them, but there wasn't a psalm group here. There was there was nothing.
3: No, this is
0: kind of new for us.
1: Like it is, and and it's really cool and it's exciting. And uh, and shout out to Mark Tarbell, he's been super supportive. Uh, we've been, God, it's going to be six years in November that we've oh, been wow. we've been going to that restaurant uh, every, every Monday morning, uh, going and tasting, and and he's always been uh, you know super gracious. I, I always tell him it's like the rock by which we built this church. Um, it's always been at that restaurant. so he's been super supportive. Um, you know, he, whatever we need, we pretty much have. Um, he'll bring old cool wines in for us to try and everything. So uh, you know he's really getting behind it. you know, he's talking about how there's gains and everything else. and, and there really is, you know there's uh, you know that you see a lot more beverage, you see a lot more care. Uh, there is more people kind of going for this, you know, this whole designation and the whole something. It's really cool to see.
0: So most of the people that are trying to get their designations here, where are they going with it? Like, what are they? Are they trying to work in a, a hotel resort? Are they trying to just take your job? Uh, are they, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what's where are they trying to go with this? Like, are they trying to be a, a wine rep, a distributor? Is um, it a, a housewives or house husbands that? Just want to be called a SOM so they can drink wine with their
1: friends? Sure. I mean, there's a little bit of that. I mean, uh, you you don't get as many people that aren't in the industry um, or, or they have some connection or, or there's some other way that they're trying to get in that this is helping them. Uh, but everyone has some connection to it. You know, we have a lot of servers, a lot of bartenders, a lot of managers, um, a lot of beverage managers, uh, which is really cool. Uh, but the actual SOM position, um, I mean, there's only, I don't know, probably four or five in the whole city that are true SOM positions. Um, a lot of people get more of the sommager thing, so they're, they're kind of doing both, which is, I mean, you're still getting to make a difference. You're getting to make someone's dinner. Um, the whole experience, you're getting to bring in wine. So, it's, so I mean, it's really cool. Um, and even that, you see a lot of that changing. Um, one of the country clubs now is, is currently looking for a sommelier before. They, they were kind of anti, and now now they want to bring one in. Um, Maple and Ash is opening that they're going to have a four-person uh, sommelier team when they open, so, so they're kind of seeing the value here. Uh, There's a lot of other restaurants that are just kind of bringing this stuff on, and they're realizing what it's doing.
2: Well, one Um, thing I noticed is uh, the couple people I know who got their SOMS or working for their SOMS, the restaurant pays for it. Yeah. So I think that's been a huge help in drifting people into, you know, like by subsidizing, say, hey, if you really want this, you know, we'll pay for it, we'll do it there. Like I know um, Billy over when he was at the house ran like a little group to get people to get into the introduction so that they could go off and Mm -hmm. go for a psalm. And there was like six, seven people that were there. I thought that's really cool. If you can get your restaurant, especially if it's a big enough one to pay for you to go, it'll give you an opportunity to be like, okay. And it helps grow the industry, obviously.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's something that, that Brian Rabb was really good about. Is he he puts a lot of his people through that. You know, they uh, they actually fly uh, some masters out and they work with Youngs and they do uh, they do an intro. I think it's in October. Uh, they do it every year, and yeah. it's you know, and it's a, you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's at a discount. You don't have to fly out. You don't have to do everything else. or bring it here. So so that's something different that's kind of come from that. Um, uh, one of the people that, that I had in a group early on, uh, Watson Brown, he was actually at the house. Um, he, uh, just passed his advance. He's at 11 Madison park now. So he's doing really fun stuff. Nice. So, so there's a lot of people that have been here and gone off and done other things. There's another guy, Tim Sorek, who was at vintage with me. Um, he's at Latok in and Napa now he's getting ready to sit his advance. So that's really cool. Um, it's just kind of cool to see all these people that, that kind of got into wine, you know, kind of where I was at one point that, I mean, didn't really, I didn't know anything. The first Date I took my wife to I wrote a bottle of wine it was a bottle of Mandavi and I was super proud of it. Uh, at City Hall, I was like oh my god Robert Mandavi spent that I'm, extra I'm, amount of money yeah, on the bottle I'm so too. Getting laid, you know, so. <laughs> That's the whole point of buying the expensive bottle uh, on yeah. a day. Uh, yeah, and I mean it. You know the, the you know it's yeah it, it was ridiculous, but uh, but I mean it was good. I mean the 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 memory of it is really good. You know, and, and we had steaks and you know everything was fun and, and the wine was delicious. Um, I think, you know, ambiance really plays a huge part. And then we probably have a whole separate podcast yeah. about how where you're at really determines how the wine tastes. Um, but I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything at one point. It was, it was abysmal what I knew, you know. But, uh, I mean, everyone's got to be there. I mean, I just, I wasn't scared. I think the, the best advice you can give any sommelier that's getting into this is fall straight on your nose if you're going to make a mistake. Yeah. Like, embrace it. Fall straight. Don't even brace yourself. Bust your nose up. Um, learn from it. You'll never make that mistake again. You know, there's, uh, okay, like one, uh, one I'll never forget. Um, I was being asked about cork taint. This is way early, when before I was even intro, and they were asking about what cork taint was. And I said, oh, you know, it's when the cork dries out and, and air gets in and does everything else. And <laughs> You know, someone's like, you're wrong, you're an idiot. You know, it's TCA and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, aside from the fact that I wanted to kick them out of their chair right then. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I never... I'll never, I went immediately afterwards, and I looked up what TCA was, and I learned what it was, and, you know, I I mean, I have a couple corks of it uh, at the restaurant. I keep a few delis, so if I, you know, I sound all the wine, which goes out, which I think is, that's a whole other thing everyone should do. Um, but I kept these corks, so if anyone ever a table asks about it, uh, another server's asking about it. You can explain cork tain all day, or you can just crack open a deli with with, with a fresh cork cork in it, and you know, show them. It's so.
2: funny you say that. That's exactly how I a way I train my um, my staff at the winery because most of the people who come to work at my winery are really just getting an introduction into wine, which I enjoy. But I try to explain to them. So I use both synthetic and natural cork. I use natural cork for my higher end wines. Mm-hmm. And every time, I'm like, do you know what cork tain is? And they'd be like, No, I have no idea. And originally, I would. I could never tell them until they got a bottle, and being I'm not always at the winery, they would have no idea. I'd come in in the morning, you know, do like my little pour, and I'd smell the wine, be like, "Wow, that thing's corked," and three quarters of the bottle is gone. I'm like, "Damn, they sold all this stuff." So I started keeping a couple to be like, "Listen, here, try this," and the second they smell it, their brain—you could see it—they go, "Oh, wow, that is so different," and it just never leaves. Mm -hmm. And so I always know I'll come in the morning. There's three bottles sitting up on the side, and each every single one is got corked into. So I'm like, "Good." they know then to avoid this bottle dude that's
0: awesome yeah i think a lot of people that grew up back east tend to be a little more sensitive to it because we know what basements smell (laughs) like (laughs) no it's so true in fact i've had friends that are novices with when it comes to wine and i've described it as a wet basement scent and i go here smell this and they're like oh my god that does smell like my basement now they'll never forget it so anytime they smell that they're like that's TCA." and they don't know what it is. They don't know anything that's you know what makes it go bad. They just know it smells like their parents' basement. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, it, you know,
1: as long as you're able to, to identify, I think that's what's important. But um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if I wouldn't have looked like an idiot, I would have never learned that lesson. I would have <laughs> yes. never. And that's and that's important. Embrace embrace being an idiot. You know. Quote it, me on that.
0: Yeah. It, well, it's it's, <laughs> okay. t- hey, it's you
1: got to start at the you got to start on the floor before you can
2: get
0: to the ceiling. <laughs> it's tough to admit it in the wine business because mm-hmm. there is so much ego in the wine business, and there's so many people that. Portray confidence so strong because you have to in the wine business too. I mean, you can't. That's, if if you're going to be a wine professional and you're mm-hmm. going to explain what's in this glass, you have to explain it with confidence. You can't kind of tiptoe around it. Sure, and and I love that you brought this up, Ken. Yeah, sorry, I think I'm cutting you off. Here. No, you're fine. <laughs> it's it's when you're you got to fall on your face. You got to misspeak sometimes to learn the facts to be confident about it. And if you are if you do misspeak, sometimes you just got to misspeak with confidence so people believe mm-hmm. you. Cause I'm a salesman, though. No, <laughs>
1: I mean it's, dude. It's totally important, you know. Uh, I I do believe there has to be confidence. Uh, I don't think anything sells wine more honestly than enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're super, you know, I, I hate to say jazz, whatever. <laughs> if you're super jazzed about a wine, right, and you go to a table and you're like, "Oh my God, check out this wine that I had, and it's amazing, and it goes with this dish, and it's so awesome, and I love it, and you should try it." Nine times out of ten, you know what? I'll, I'll take a crack at it. You know, it's uh, it's kind of like the whole, you know, when Harry met Sally, right? I'll have what she's having, like is. If they see you totally into something, they're, they're going to buy into that, right?
2: Yeah, it's true. I mean, you walk up to any table and you look like you're sad and kind of like, yeah, no, we've got this on the menu. We have that. <laughs> they be like,
1: okay, this guy's super enthusiastic. And they'll just go
2: with what they already know. But you're right. If you walk up to the table, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've ordered special because, yeah, you know, we have this on the menu. But I'm telling you, we got these scallops in the other day. They're amazing. <laughs> All right, cool. I'll try that. Same thing with wine. Like, hey, listen, I know you said you like this style Chardonnay, but I'm telling you, try this other unique grape. Like I took my girlfriend to a fat ox mm-hmm. and uh, we were sitting there going through the whole menu and the server came up and she goes, you know, like, what can we get you? We were talking and my girlfriend was like, I'm really not sure. I don't want a Chardonnay. I don't want a Blanc. And the girl goes, I'm telling you, you got to try this Falangina. And I was like, okay, cool. I know what it is through Damien, but the server was real hyped about having Falangina on the menu. So Sarah's was like, all right, cool. I'll Try that right out of the gate. And she loved it, you know, because I think that enthusiasm kind of translated to you'll be excited for trying something you've never had before. And it's it's refreshing to have somebody have that enthusiasm towards something that's so
1: out of left field, dude. Yeah, I, I mean, totally. You know, that's a... Uh, I I mean, there's a lot of sommeliers now. That's that's one of the things. You know, I'm like, look, one of the most important things: smile when you're on the floor. Yeah, and and it sounds so silly, but it, but it's so true. And then from that, by proxy, you get that enthusiasm. You get excited. Um, you know, you should you should want to help these people if they're coming in, they're annoying you. I mean, what are you doing there to begin with? So, I mean, there's a whole slew of things about the way I feel. Um about Psalms, one of the problems I felt. So I was talking about, you know, your uncle's old hotel. You take it over, you're taking the sheets off, you see how awesome everything was. But there had to be that area of decline that happened for it to get sheeted up and kind of, you know, forgotten in the annals of history. And I feel there was a lot of people that that were in charge of where wine went. So after a lot of the good professionals left, you know, there was some people that were here. There were some up-and-comers and everything that came up. But I think one of the most damaging things is there was this mentality that, you know what? I'm good enough for Arizona. There wasn't the pursuit for global greatness. You know, I'm good enough for Arizona. Great. Am I good enough for the world? Maybe not, but I'm good enough for here and that's it. And I felt like that's where it really got us into a slump and we really had to work to get out of it. Um, I mean, number one, being humble because not only were they just good enough for Arizona, there was a lot of stuffiness and pretension and
0: there's really no place in wine for that at all, in my opinion. Here, here. Yeah. There's really the, not. But but unfortunately that is the wine business. There's so much of it. I mean, there's a lot of it. That's what now, turns people off out there. Like is that stuffiness or that pretentiousness that I'm drinking the chateau, blah, 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 with hints of cassis and <laughs> send a wood and blah, blah. it's like guys like does it go with my steak is it going to get me laid tonight I love the underlying theme the underlying theme is get laid from the bottle of wine <laughs> <laughs> but for, for, from a young guy who doesn't know a lot about wine and wants to order a bottle who's not a professional that's some of the things you're like we want to impress the people that we're with yes it, we're, we're breaking it down from a neanderthal guy kind of mentality but at the end of the day if I order a bottle of wine for my guests at the table, I want them to enjoy it. And I want them to – it to be a memorable experience. Yes. you know, And, and I'm not – the average person isn't necessarily good at that, so we need to lean on professionals. But I, the average person who drinks beer with his buddies while working on the car on a Saturday – doesn't want to go out Saturday night and be talked down to by a sommelier because they don't know the difference between Burgundy and Chardonnay.
1: You know what? And, and and shame on any sommelier that's ever made, ostracized anyone
0: or ever made anyone feel stupid. I don't think they mean to. I just think it comes across sometimes. And yeah. I think that's done a lot of harm to the to the sommelier perspective perception. Uh, It has.
1: It has. I I mean, I still walk up to a table and people still hide their wallet. Oh my God, the psalm's (laughs) here. You know, what's
0: going to happen? So
2: do you think that's like a perception thing? Just because wine has kind of always been ingrained in money. Like, if Mm -hmm. you think of champagne, you think of a celebration, a victory, but you also think of a lot of money-driven things. Like, I think of Formula One. I think of Louis Vuitton, Louis Hennessy. Like, I think money when it comes Mm -hmm. to that. Wine's kind of always been in that world. Like, you know, you think of the wine geek. Well, not for us, but for the average consumer who thinks of the guy who loves wine. They picture a super expensive cellar with wines that are impossible to get in different vintages. So it's this, and I think we talked about this in another episode, people are kind of afraid of it because they don't think that's a world that they would fit into in some cases. Versus beer is every man's wine. It's every woman, or excuse me, every man's drink. You know, you go to a ball game, you have a beer. You're with your friends, you have a beer. You're gonna eat a hot dog, beer. Like, beer is so easy to have. There's no crazy money aspect to beer. You can kind of do it with some whiskeys. You know, obviously, scotches can be expensive. Whiskeys can be expensive. But even the average person can have a really good whiskey that's inexpensive. But wine has always got this world around it, this idea that, oh, well, that's a money thing, and you have to have money to understand it. And I've been lucky enough to not, under, like, I don't believe in that. I believe you can have a $9 bottle, and it's absolutely awesome, especially if you're around your friends drinking. You can drink a $10 Prosecco and it can make a whole morning really fun with all of your friends before you go off and do something for the day. Or maybe not morning lunch. I don't know. It depends on your group of friends. <laughs> no, no, no. Morning. morning. yeah, 6 a.m. Exactly. <laughs> you know, before the bike ride at 8 a.m. Morning in Tempe. <laughs> so, like, it seems like it's slowly growing. But still, like, I have my group of friends that go, oh, hey, John here. Or John's here. He's clearly going to have a really expensive bottle. And I'll bring something that came off a of Safeway. And they're really surprised about it. I'm like, no, dude, this is awesome $9 bottle. And then they're kind of weirded out by it a little bit. I'm like, well, Okay, we're going to drink it anyways, And then they end up loving it. And so they know, oh crap, we can go to Safeway and get a $10 bottle and it's fantastic.
0: You also don't sit around drinking beer with your friends and your friends go, "Hey, hey, don't drink that beer yet. Let it let just let it breathe." <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you're right. You don't have to let a beer breathe. <laughs> you're like, dude, shut up. I'm drinking beer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So- Plus, you can open a
2: beer with one hand. You can't do that with a bottle. <laughs> that is I good guess point. you can Maybe twist nah, up. No, you know we're,
1: we're, we're, we're going to leave the magic alive. Yeah. You can't yeah. do that. You know? can't do that. Dogs
0: can't look up Champ- I guess right? <laughs> <laughs> you can pop a champagne, I guess. And one.
1: some
2: people can't lick their elbows. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, sweet. So. But, uh, you know, just, just to kind of cover it real quick, I think uh, there's a lot of responsibility some has have, and, and I mean, God, I keep saying this, I'm super passionate about it. Um, wine's a social weapon. You know, that's the best way to think about it. You can really make someone feel stupid. You can really yeah, make someone idea. feel, I mean, it really is. And I think that there needs to be a responsibility with that. You know, the, I mean, the number one thing I learned about studying wine is, oh my God, there is so much I don't know. It's like drinking the ocean a cup at a time. You know, you're, you know, you look out at this vast expanse and you're like, oh my God, how am I going to get all this? Um, and I I think even there's people with their master's pen that, that yeah, you still don't digest all of it per se. You're not going to know everything. Um, you know, it's more about your approaches and well, that's a whole other topic, but but I feel as you get this, you know, this this wealth of knowledge that everyone kind of wants. I mean, they, they like the social aspect to it. But you have to, you know, you have to really be careful. You know, I mean, like you said, maybe it's not it's not intentional, but sometimes it is, and sometimes it is judgy and it is shitty, and you and you don't have a smile on your face, and you don't, you know, you're bringing okay, like natural wines. I have I, I don't want to go too far down the the natural wine thing, um, but there was even some places here in town. That I, I, only, I only bring in natural wines, and my biggest argument with that is, well, is that what your guest wants? Does every guest understand that if you have six faults, that it's okay and it's marketable and it's natural? I'm um, not saying all wines are like that. Not, there's really good natural wines out yeah. there. Uh, the other problem with natural is that, I mean, what the hell does it mean? Who knows? I mean, there's no definition. There's no governing body, and natural could mean anything. Um, but in this nebulous world of natural, you know where you're not adding sulfur and you know you're just kind of trying to make the wine natural, whatever the hell that means. Um, there's some that are really good and there's some that are terrible, but for you to only pick wines based on that is is almost as bad as the sommelier with a tostavan looking down his nose at someone else. You know, <laughs> it, so
0: it's true. I mean, the I, I want to get into a rant about natural wines. I want to save this for another day though, <laughs> because yeah, I yeah, can yeah. don't get me started. But, but, yeah, it comes me. with additives. <laughs> People get so upset about sulfites in their wine, and they I want a sulfite free wine, but. There's no laws that govern all the other other additives that go into that wine. You can add in powders and other chemicals to (laughs) to falsify the flavor. You could add tannin powder to falsify the tannins in it. And you don't have to put that on the label at all. So this person who's ordering their natural wine because they don't want to have a sulfite that's naturally occurring in the wine, but they're going to allow all these other chemicals to be put in that wine. So there's, there's things like that in the wine business that's... Drive me a little crazy that I can go on to some crazy rants about. Yeah. Um, going back, though, to what you were saying about beer and wine, though, one of the things that keeps us interested in wine is that everything I know this year is different next year. And when it comes to beer and spirits, it's not like that. I can know every single thing there is to know about Pabst Blue Ribbon from 10 years ago, and today it's still Pabst Blue Ribbon, <laughs> but, and it hasn't changed, but... The 1997-1998 the Jordan Cab is very different, I'm sure, than drinking a 2006 or 2016 Jordan Cab. And the way the, it's changed over the years, there's no other product out there like that. So we're in a very challenging position being wine professionals that everything I know from 2019 vintage is different in 2020. So no matter what you know about whatever burgundy you're drinking next year, you know nothing. Yeah. it's a different season no I totally agree with that and there's a uh, I don't want to quote uh, I think it was Bets that said this I'm
1: sorry if it wasn't Richard um, but there was uh, something he said about beer and, uh, and and the difference one of the major differences you're talking about beer really doesn't have terroir per se right because because they're actually doing trials where they can manipulate water and they can I, make a Belgian style
3: anywhere
2: yes. right I, I want to touch on that just a hair because I was speaking to I think it was a guy from Helio Base and Dustin I was talking to even guests that came out and I said, the one thing about the Arizona beer industry is they have the ability to change the water better than anywhere else because you have to break it down. You absolutely have to change the water. You cannot make good beer from the water that we have out here. So you got to manipulate it. You can't do that with wine. That soil is that soil. And unless you get a landslide, that's not going to change. So you have to plant specifically for that. The other thing that kind of going into this, you know, pretentiousness of wine a little bit, if you make stone IPAs, ruination. They can make ruination all the time. But the second that vintage swing comes in, you're onto a totally new product. You know, even if it is going from 18 to 19, that's not the same wine. It's completely different. So now you've got to be familiar and smart about the vintages and how it turned out. So I've got this great, you know, Napa cab. Well, all right, 2011 was not a great year. So it's going to be a little more pullback, back, maybe a little bit more herbaceous, or you get a real hot year. And all of a sudden the fruit is so ripe. And if you've never had a wine drinker, they're going to be so confused as why that bottle tastes different than that, but you can be in New Jersey or Florida or wherever and get a Stone or a Goose Island or something, and it's the same product. And trying to get people to understand that with wine is a little intimidating for people who don't like to be taught. Uh And some people just don't like to be talked to and not talked down to, just taught. And that can be frustrating because they don't want to hear
0: about it. They just want to drink it, try it, like it, and go away. Sure. Well, when I'm at at dinner with you know, a date or I'm at dinner with my family, I don't want to get a lesson necessarily on wine either. I want my, the sommelier to read my body language, know what I'm, I want and recommend things to fit to what we want to drink. That's gotta be really tough actually um, for you or for a sommelier to recommend wines without bringing your own palate into it.
1: Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you do have to definitely uh, disconnect. It's funny you mentioned body language. That's totally something you do um, silverware, believe it or not, will tell you a lot about someone, right? Okay, <laughs> so, go on. So, so you should have, you know, knife on the right, fork on the left, right? That's you know, that's kind of your standard thing. If someone, okay, so I'm going up, I'm going to suggest a wine, and you always kind of know. I mean, so there are some people they want to talk to me, they want to talk to the sommelier, they want to learn, they want to tell about their experiences. I love it, right? Other people, they want to be the one to educate everyone else at the table. Okay, great. My, I'm I'm a very supportive role, right? And if you're a really good sommelier, you should actually you should start outside of the spotlight. It should never be about you, right? It should be about the table and what they're doing at 100% of the time. Um, if, they want, if they want me to elaborate, I'll go more into it. If they want me to go further, I'll really nerd it up, but I have to be prompted. I'm not just gonna come with this out of nowhere. You know? You're not gonna pull the string on my back and I'm gonna you know, tell you all about biodynamics. It doesn't work that way, right? Um, so sometimes you know, uh, some people, you know, they, they wanna lead everyone. So then you're looking for cues otherwise of what they do, right? And then a big one, silverware, right? back to this whole silverware thing. If it stays, okay, so if something gets moved and they go out of their way and they put it back straight and it has to be they're super OCD and has to be linear and everything else, I'm going to be very conservative in, in my suggestions for that versus someone that they grabs their silverware immediately and shoves it off to the side or the blade's facing out or something's not there. I'm like, okay, I can get really adventurous with this person because they, they don't really care about ceremony as much, right? The placement of their glassware uh, the way they grab things—if they're left or right-handed—usually a wristwatch will tell you, you know, if they're right or left-handed. So you know, you'll, you'll have a propensity for that. Um, it sounds kind of weird. Left-handed drinkers, there's this thing about Merlot—they tend to like—which is really weird. I've, I've kind of noticed a little bit. But it's
2: funny you say that. As I'm holding a glass in my left hand, I'm like, I'm not a big fan of Merlot, but <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that's weird though. So, yeah. It's a cockamamie thing, but Do but you- no, there's probably some weird truth into like the little things that you're talking about just like that because clearly somebody's noticed it over a long period of time and went, well i notice more people who do this do that sure so that's i want to do that now when i come i want i'm start paying more attention to how people do things like i know beginning wine drinkers because they'll slam back the thing like it's a shot because mm-hmm. i've got certain tasting glasses versus the person that sits there and you know smells it and they put the glass on the table put their palm down and slowly spin it or the girl who just showed up on a date's got her whole arm into the hole like holding it sw- holding, holding, holding it by it, the bulb yeah. like
1: oh the bowl one I love my, <laughs> or, my favorite <laughs> is overanalyze
2: yeah they like I pull like a four glass a full glass and they'll get their face you know and smell it and you could see that they got a little into their nose so they start <laughs> coughing <laughs> away, like new wine drinkers <laughs> so yeah. do you
0: do you teach this these nuances to your psalm people or is this something you've just developed yourself no, yeah I, I mean I'll tell them to look at stuff like that um, um, and, and it's so
1: here's what's funny. You, you'll also look at someone's appearance, but not not to judge them like, oh, this person can't afford this wine. I'm not. It's nothing like that. Like, you know, it, it goes the same way if someone's hair is neatly combed and neatly trimmed and parted, you know, OK, that that's going to you know, that's going to play a part into it if they have matching socks versus non matching socks. And there's a lot of things like that. You can kind of get an idea of someone's personality. You know, and 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 what they're about, you know, and, and that'll really play in. And and this is, you know, for for people that don't really want you to, to talk too much or or that, you know, I can't I can't be bothered right now with selecting a wine, you know. You know, take a shot, what do you think we should have, you know, and I'll take a good look, you know? Okay. You look adventurous. Um, you know, you have you know, nice shoes, everything's laced up and everything else. Okay, so there's some semblance of of, of keeping very classic, but you like things a little different. So maybe I'll bring an atypical style of a specific wine to you, and, and we'll go that route, and more often than not, I'm pretty successful with it, you know, but it's, um, I don't know, you, you should always be looking at things, There's the things people don't say kind of tell you everything about them, and I've, I've found, especially in people's uh, wine choices, it tends to be pretty true most of the time. That's
0: a, that's a good salesman right there, I mean, that's th- those are little <laughs> things you notice, though, I mean, when I was out selling wine to the public and trying to sell you wine, little things that I notice, and how people taste, and nuances, and if they want to listen to the story, if they just want to taste the wine, if... You know, you just, it's reading your, your people. Mm-hmm. It's weird because that's two totally different things though. I mean, it's still
2: reading the people, but for what you have to do, I'm pointing at Jason by the way, you have to know the hey, customer coming in mm-hmm. and so you can read the entire customer versus Damon, who's got to sell to you only has to know you. Mm-hmm. So he knows, okay, I'm going to go see Jason. I know he likes this. I know he can appreciate this really geeky wine. You just get a corner in, you know what? He'll like that. But then it's on to you to sell it to the person to it get is. them to like that. That's too, you get to focus on one person versus Jason has to focus
1: on the whole crowd that walks in the door. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, and, and, uh, you know, to your point earlier, um, you really have to be able to, uh, not have a bias a lot of times, um, because I, it'll lose over. I mean, you can't help it. You know, if, uh. On your personal time, someone—I'm a Yankees fan. You know how many people really don't. It, Damien's a Yankees and fan. And we just lost the bark in Boston market, <laughs> 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 right? Sorry, but uh, but exactly. See, right? Just, just because <laughs> of something like that, there, there's a lot of animosity, and, and you have these personal opinions, and it's beautiful for people to have those. Um, but the way I feel about wine, I can't expect everyone else to do that. You know, I mean, I personally, I think white wine's more exciting than red wine right now. You know, I'm just in one of those phases, right? Um, a lot of people disagree with me. They come in, especially <laughs> somewhere that, to a steakhouse or whatever. So, so what I like doesn't, doesn't really matter so much necessarily, you know, and, and you have to be able to take that part out of it. Um, and that's another fault. I think a lot of Psalms do is, is they make a list that that's like planning their flag. It has to be done. Um, and I think back to Mark Tarbell, he's really good about this. You know, uh, he, he pours Caymus by the glass. I mean, that's yeah, probably it's a great consumer. You uh, know, they're gonna want that. Right. It's a good it's, business thing. It's probably the number one wine that a lot of sommeliers like like to poo-poo on and like to, you know, and and I have my own opinions on the whole matter. But well, Silver Oak's uh, up there too, you uh, know. <laughs> right? I mean, you can't make 350,000 cases and make it good yeah. anymore. Just kidding. So um, so you know, so this happens, but he, he's he's doing a service to his guests because he's like, you know what, I'm gonna put my pride aside, I'm gonna put what I feel can be the greatest thing out there, you know. It, I mean, you know, is Camus the best wine? Who knows? It's up for debate, right? Um, wink, wink. But uh, <laughs> but he's willing to put it on there for people to come in because it's for them, and that that's an amazing thing for someone to do—to be able to put their pride aside, you know, and and the you know your personification of wine to the masses, and be like, you know, what this is what people want. I'm going to give them what they want. It doesn't matter what I like, and that's there's something
2: awesome in that. Well, it sounds like I mean. As somebody who has like a kind of like a buyer's anxiety sometimes when I go some places, if you walk into a restaurant where you sit down and a menu's got like five cabs, five pinots, five Chardonnays, and you don't recognize one of them, you're going to drift into something that you do recognize, which might be a beer. It might be a cocktail because I I did this the other night. I was at um, not Ocean's 44, what's the uh, Steak 44,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I was with a bunch of my dad's friends, and I went through the whole menu, and it wasn't bad by any means, but I was completely biased on what I wanted. It was a very good menu for everybody who wants to buy there. But I couldn't pick a single wine out for the group of the table, so I got a Negroni instead. Because it was it was things that I recognized and didn't want. And I've if I was a normal consumer and I walked into like an eclectic restaurant and went, I don't know any of these cabs. I like to drink Camus or Silver Oak or Rombauer. They might be like, well, I guess I'll just get a beer or something, especially if you have an unenthusiastic server mm-hmm. or somebody who doesn't know the menu that well. Versus if you, Jason, walked up to the table, you could be like, listen, this cab is similar to Camus. This is why it's good. It's a small producer. But you're not going to get people like you all the time. If you have a staff of 30 people serving, two of them might be you. Eight more might be enough to talk. it, And the rest will just, like, I'm just here to get a paycheck kind <laughs> of thing. So now your wine menu's hurt. So Mark puts it on there because people immediately know Caymus to go, oh, I'll spend the money and get that. Versus, if somebody walked up and was like, "Hey, all right, well, I know there's Camus on here, but instead of Camus, get this. It's really cool. It's a little uh, less than expensive, or maybe more, but I'm telling you, it'll blow your mind." Kind of a thing. Yeah,
1: no, and, and you definitely need someone to be able to be driving that. I mean, it, it's critical. Um, and then, of course, you have to make sure you're presenting it in a manner that's very number one, very digestible. Um, oh, that's a good way of putting that. I like that digestible. Yeah, I mean, because you, I mean, you, you could throw a myriad of information at someone. You know, I mean, when you start talking about, you know, you know the terroir in all honesty. Well, even, yeah, I mean, even, I mean, how much bullshit is is even put in the terroir, you know, most of the time, a lot of people, oh, it's terroir, it's terroir, you know, and it's like, well, there's, there's a lot more that goes into that, you know, or for example, I love Frog's Leap, right? I really like Frog's Leap wines and they, their farming is what gets me, right? They have a mycelium network underneath the vines where they're all talking, they're all sending hormones. So it's like little text messages to each other and, oh, Fred over there, he's not doing so good. Oh my God, everyone give me some complex carbohydrates and let's send it over to them. And they've done tests with UC Davis, where they're analyzing these complex carbohydrates, you know, through through like some isotope, just whatever the heck it is, and watching all this go. <coughs> or the opposite. Uh, Fred's gonna die. What are we gonna do with all his energy? And he'll literally disperse it out and give it to everyone else. They have bud break within one day, all their vineyards of each other, because they're all interconnected. Like, there's this really cool stuff that's happening. That's really cool. But, but if I if I come to a table with this information,
0: <laughs> what are they going to say? What who who the fuck is like? Fred? Yeah, yeah. I just want wine. Is it going to pair with my shrimp and my steak tonight? Yeah. Like, Dude, yeah, I have the hardest
2: problems at my winery is trying to explain acid and tannin to people. And that's 99% of the people that walk in the door. Because I've had this conversation a million times. People come in and go, I like a dry wine, but not too dry. Not overly dry, but not dry enough. And I want to be like, okay. I got to break this down easy for it. Yeah, like dry is dry, and then there's levels of sweetness. But what you're thinking is tannin. Mm -hmm. Like you would like a Pinot Noir or a Gamay if you like really light red wine, or excuse me, light tannin red wine. But if you like it to tear your mouth apart and be really tannic and bold, then, okay, well, I've got a cab. Or if I made a Nebbiolo or something, I would do that. So even with acid, trying to get people to understand acid, the average consumer has no idea. Like, what do you mean by acid in a wine? I just like wine. Well, okay, well, this one's really zippy. It's fresh. It's bright. So we use terms like that in some cases. And even then they still look at me like a deer in a head, like, like uh, okay, sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's a huge one is, is poetry versus prose, right? I mean, we, we could talk about, you know, methoxypyrazine all day long, or we can, this wine has rotundone or this has, you know, whatever the hell else that's going on with it. You know, there's monoterpenes in this wine. No, 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 this is secoterpene, <laughs> right? It's 99 and everybody's per- like. 99% of the public doesn't give a shit. They no, want to... exactly. And and that's what's important, you know. And and that's one of the things I stress to everyone on my floor is you can't go to a table and say, "Oh, the acidity is great. Oh, there's a lot of tannin." You know, you're you're okay, this is this is, you know, there's an astringency and it's going to dry your mouth out. Or uh, you know, it's it's very crisp and lip-smacking and refreshing, you know, for for acid you you do have to think about it differently that way cuz not everyone's going to going to get things like that, you know. Instead of saying "rotund done, let's talk about cracked black pepper. I mean, keep it simple. You know, even uh. Even in the exams, when you go for the, uh, you know, back in the court, the whole reason for blind tasting, we're talking about blind tasting really the entire purpose of that entire exercise is to be able to describe wines to a table. Mm. That is it. For you to be able to talk, it's, everyone loves the parlor trick aspect of it, everyone this and that. When it really comes down to it, when on the floor, when you're selling wine, do you ever need to guess a wine? When do you need, oh my God, I confused their wines. I better yeah. blind taste it right here and figure out what these decanters are.
0: Never going to happen. You know? Well, what you can do is you can explain to me why I don't like Chardonnay, but I love Burgundy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. so
2: for something for like me, my difference in the world comes down to uh sorry, I'm coming at a weird angle there. Um,
3: <laughs> no, you get I'm-
2: to sit down with tables and you get to talk to the person who's having a dinner. My whole world is to actually be the I'm the better. teacher of the wine. Because I have the winery. People want to understand why the wine tastes like this and they want to try something different. So I get a fun aspect of being, the here's the 101 breakdown. Here's why I made this wine this way. Here's what happens when I put oak to it. Here's what happens when I do mallow. And then I actually make Um, A couple wines in my winery that are only for teaching purposes of my 101 classes. I make a Chardonnay that touches no oak and no mallow. It is just straight out of the tank, basically. And then I give it to them in a pairing with my Dry Creek wine that has been oaked and has been mallowed. And they could sit there and be like, wow. That one's creamy and has this creme brulee and like vanilla and banana flavors. I'm like, that's the oak you're tasting. And then they try the other one, go, wow, that's pineapple. And my mouth is watering like crazy. I'm like, yeah, that's the at, that's this. And I can do that. I don't need to sit there with anybody in my place be like, listen, you drink that with, you know, this style steak or this with this. The only thing I will tell them is mostly the easiest breakdown. If you're going to have like a real spicy dish, make sure there's a little bit of sweetness in it. Because totally. I've been at a table before where somebody went, oh, I want that low zin in with 16% alcohol and bring me spicy Thai hot. And I'm just like, oh, Eesh. you're going to hate that. Yeah, yeah. And they Welcome, just don't Harvard. get it. And I want to be like, listen, get like a good Riesling or a conversion. like, I'm not going to drink a sweet wine with this.
3: All right.
0: Well, enjoy your throat melting down for a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I will say that, you know, a California producer of Chardonnay can do every little thing that they could imagine to mimic Burgundy but it will never taste like Burgundy. So many people try and they get close, mm-hmm. but it's, it's never the same.
1: It's, it's really funny. There's a, there's a lot of people that are in this. Wow. This is we're we're, we're going to skin the, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to peel back the curtain a little bit. Um, there's a lot of producers that really believe Burgundy is more process than it is terroir, which is really funny. Hmm. Um, uh, when you look at it, uh, God, where's I, I need Jonah for this? He, he, he explains this really good. Jonah beer. if You don't know. Great guy. Um, And it's kind of funny when you look at a lot of the processes, right, that that go into it, you know, I mean, and uh, I mean, if you look at a lot of things, a a lot of winemaking techniques are really kind of born in Burgundy. And if they were so focused on terroir, why is there why is there such an emphasis on the production? Right. So so who's to say who's right? I mean, I I think there is definitely an emphasis on on where the fruit's coming from. And of course. Um, and I mean, if, if you're gonna whack something with that much oak, you need you need some good stout fruit to be able to take that. I mean, this is why Hyde and Hudson you can you can beat the heck out of it with oak, and you get something <laughs> amazing out of it, right? Uh, versus something kind of marginal, you hit it with oak, and it just it, it it's not gonna support that. It's not it's not gonna hold it. Um, but yeah, even like the Rouleau method, right? So you're taking your Chardonnay, you're gonna stick it in, in stainless, you are put it in a tank, you're gonna you're gonna basically suffocate that wine, shut it down, leave it alone for a little bit. I mean all these, I don't know. So it's kind of funny when you say that and there's a lot of people
0: that are arguing the other way that, that Burgundy's only Burgundy because of process. So, I mean, who's to say
3: who's well, really true? Well, but.
0: I mean, Chardonnay's the one grape you can manipulate more than any other grape on the planet. Oh, it's, it's, Blank canvas. I agree with you. Yes. I mean, that's the point of Chardonnay. It's it's oaked oaked, it's mallowed, it's unmallowed, it's... You can manipulate the hell out of it. You can only manipulate Pinot Noir so much, (laughs) you you know, versus then it's just not Pinot Noir. Yeah. Where Chardonnay, you're right. It's a a complete (laughs) blank canvas. Edit that out, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. We we, we rag on everybody else. No, the I'm time, pretty sure so you can voting. go back to like the last eight episodes. We brought them up at some point. Great. Well, so
2: awesome. I, I want to get your thing on because you said Chardonnay is a blank cam- canvas. Is that because, as the winemaker, I can tweak that and manipulate it, therefore the terroir is not as important, versus a Pinot Noir needs very specific climate, soil, whatever, and you cannot manipulate it as much as you would a Chardonnay?
0: So what would that make that style of grape it's two totally different
2: bubbles
0: (laughs) you could take a chardonnay and oak the hell out of it and people are going to love it you can make it super creamy you could take a mediocre chardonnay and manipulate it to the point where people are going to really enjoy it oh don't worry i know (laughs) (laughs) i do that for a living (laughs) when i said you can i meant you do yeah well (laughs) so versus you could also leave it very clean and very clear but it still has tons of nuances whereas Something like Cabernet Sauvignon, you can only do so much manipulation. You can only change it so many different ways. You can do different heavy hands of oak, new oak, used oak. It can only go so many directions. I could literally take – you could take Chardonnay grapes from one piece of property, give them to 10 different winemakers and have 10 completely different wines, completely different. You take 10 Cabernet grapes from the same vineyard, give them to 10 Cabernet drinkers or 10 Cabernet winemakers – It's probably going to make a similar wine. There's going to be little nuances that are different, but it's going to be similar. With Chardonnay, you can manipulate the hell out of it. So then wouldn't that be the case then in your
2: friend being right and wrong at the same time where a Chardonnay is not necessarily, it is the process of making the wine that Mm -hmm. makes the wine versus a Pinot Noir is the actual site and area speaking for the site and the winemaker can only do so little to
1: change it. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I I kind of see both sides of it because there's, I mean, there there's a lot of things you can do with Pinot Noir uh, to make it different. I, I don't think there's quite the range that Chardonnay does. I mean, I mean, even just think about, uh, I don't know, a, any producer, Russian River, Full Mallow, you know, lots of oak. You know, it's worther it's worther candies. It's you know, a yeah, flat Coke. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's it's very you know, yeah. there's a very structured style but you can go to burgundy with the same amount of oak and have you know look at your woods; you have 75 montrachets what you were talking about earlier yeah the
2: montrachet yeah, yeah that, that was like kind of your epiphany right i mean that was the first time i had a chardonnay that made me completely change my idea on what chardonnay can do but with the exception of i do love chablis and i do I, I, i've enjoyed a lot of good chablis mm-hmm. i think i just like that style more but i'm so used to drinking so much california uh, california chardonnay with you know, little oak, little mallow, but there's that big, rich body and flavor to it, and it, there is a universal flavor into it. Like Russian River Pinot, I've always been a big Russian River Pinot fan, but it's slowly kind of all tasting the same, mm-hmm. but the second I had that that Montresay, I was like, holy crap, I didn't realize you could taste oyster shell in a wine like this, and like fresh too, and yeah, with like not the body that a California has, and the alcohol was way pulled back, it was just so vastly different that it wasn't even on the same page let alone the same book
1: as california
2: mm-hmm. and i really really enjoyed it and then i found out the price of it and i went oh well <laughs>
1: that was a great one time one time try <laughs> right it, it's funny you mentioned the russian river because uh, i was at Pinot forum and that was one of the things they were kind of mentioning i think that was one of the problems is that everyone was kind of lumping it all together um and i think they've been working really hard lately to uh, to kind of separate that they have the neighborhoods project they have doing um you know, different parts of the Russian river that, I mean, almost to the point where they're believing it could even be subdivided sub, uh, you know, make AVAs within.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and it's funny, I kind of had a little bit of that mentality until I actually sat down with that tasting. I was like, Oh wow. Okay. You know, there is a, uh, there's a little bit of difference, but then you're also talking about producers and where they, so, so I don't know. I, I feel like the, the Burgundian varieties overall, um, Process is very important, but also, I don't know, I guess where it's coming from. I, I, maybe I'm talking in circles here.
2: I would also say that I think one of the big thing that unfortunately hurts the wine industry is the point system sometimes. Now, it yes. creates for consumer, but if you're aiming for a goal of 95 to 100 points, let's say in Pinot Noir case, 95, 96, 97 points, and you see that this specific person gave this other winery 95 points. You might mimic and pick, well, it's really oaked, it's really overextracted, and I can get more for it. Well, therefore, I'm not going to make the terroir of this wine. I'm going to make it towards that style, that oaky, over macerated, big, jammy, concentrated, versus letting the site kind of make the wine.
1: Sure. And that's. Which a- I think
2: is an unfortunate thing for the consumers.
1: Oh, it totally is. So. So uh, a lot of times that's the one I can confidently. Anytime I'm really going to poo poo on a wine, I think it has to do with economics, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking about Silver Oak earlier. Sorry, Silver Oak. Um, and and my one argument, well, number one, no matter what anyone says, they're going to sell a shit ton of wine. Oh, and no one, no one's going to stop that. And yeah. good for them, right? Um, but I think now, I think it's last. It was like over three hundred thousand cases they're making. Over three hundred thousand cases of wine. How, how is there any? specificity to what you're doing? How is there any exemplification of where this is coming from? I mean, it, it's almost like you're, you're kind of following a recipe book because you need to hit margins and you, you have investors that need to be happy. And this is more, this is why I don't carry wines like those. Not, not because I, I, I hate the wines and, and they're bullshit and they're this and that. And, you know, I, I mean, they are a little manipulated. They're a little big for my taste, but there's people that like them that I have. But I, I feel it's easier for me to be passionate at a table I'm more uh, enthusiastic at a table about, um, let's say for like Pilcro. Okay. So Pilcro, Sara beer is making the wine. Um, They had Pimray vineyard they're, they're, you know, they're actually looking for a new vineyard. It was bought by Ponte Cane. It's not on uh, they don't have access to that Mount Vita fruit anymore. There are 182 cases and that's it. Right. Like, Sleeping in the fermentation room, making sure everything's going right. Like, they love each and every bottle. They've had their hands on each and every bottle that has come
0: out of that, that That's winery. It. You just nailed it right there. The, every bottle was probably touched by 10 people in the winery uh-huh. versus is the winemaker at Silver Oak actually touching that label? Is he actually touching that bottle? Did he even touch those grapes? Mm-hmm. Did he have anything to do with it? I and mean, there's so much wine produced. Does he just come and wave his magic wand in, in the winery? and produce silver oak versus this guy who truly cares about every single berry that was picked off of those plants. And not to mention, like, I'm not
2: saying this is a silver oak thing, but if you're a mass production facility you're not exactly going in going, oh, okay, well, the lower part of that hill is a little bit different from the top hill. We can blend a little of this. They go, okay, well, that tastes a little different, so we'll add oak tannin to that. Uh, we need a little bit of more body in that, add some glycerin to that. I don't like the way this is dry. We're going to add some wine conditioner, which wine conditioner is just high fructose corn syrup, so we're going to raise that, and now blend it all together. Cool, now every single bottle tastes the same no matter what part of the city it comes into mm-hmm. versus those small winemakers who might have a point where, like, I like William Sellium for a Pinot Noir guy. Oh, that's and... Great. and he at least, or they go, okay, well, we're going to take that site, that site, that site, and that site. And that's like, we're not going to blend them together. We're just going to let the site do its own thing. And you buy it as the consumer, you figure out the site that you like, you know? So I've got three wines I love from William Sam and I always buy them. There are these three specific sites that I absolutely love. And I've opened maybe just a couple bottles and I've been lucky enough to go there and try them. And they are subtly different, but in a good way. You know, I'm not getting the same product every single year, and I like that. That's the same thing with uh, the Proditorium, Barbaresco. I actually really, really enjoy those different sites. I think that's so cool to, to have something where when Damien opens it, I thought it was corked. And then an hour later, it was like a pine forest. And at the end of the night, it was my favorite wine. It literally went from the wine I hated the most to at the end of the night, I didn't want to stop drinking it.
0: Nice. Well, Versus first,
2: you open a silver oak, it's going to be silver oak every
0: single time. You, you thought this was off at first. Yeah, I, I thought something was going on with it. It's it's yeah. It's, it was really opened up. It was really goat cheesy. Uh huh. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's about the best like way to put cheese. it. Like, it, it was really really this. So good. Yeah, it was really yeah, strong to me on one of the cowgirl creamery cheeses that I always buy like for the house. It has that. It smelled like the rind. What the, the Saint and the goat Andre? Chase. No the triple cream. It, it, it's the, the rind of one of the, the cheeses they have. The one that has the ash through the middle. Like on actual that. ash. Yeah.
2: God, yeah. I, I should know this. Shame, I should shame on too. me for not knowing my yeah, I, better.
0: I, I just prairie breeze. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. if, if, right, if, if you could see me so, right now, you see me grimacing. At the moment. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so
2: I want to, or do you want to finish your follow on that? No, one? No, please okay. go on. So, I just wanted to say, like, for one thing, for the people listening, so we did have we have two wines with us. Uh, one of them Jason uh, brought is a white Burgundy, which we'll have him talk about in a minute. And then I actually put one into a. Wait, what do you? A tasting bag, basically, and pour it for him because I want to see what he. I want to get to a point where he can talk about what he's doing with it blind and whatever. But before we do that, I just want you to take a sniff of it and give us like an initial thought, and then later in the episode, break it down why you thought it was this and how you got across like uh, how a would do it. Okay,
1: so so first impulse smell is what you're after. Okay.
2: First impulse smell, and then we'll come back to it a little later, so you could tell people. You know, why being a psalm and how you kind of get to where you're at, basically.
1: The uh, first thing I smell, honestly, is uh, volatile acidity. Um, I, there's a little, uh, like, pickle juice, pickle brine. Um, I think it gives it aromatic lift. Um, and the wine's kind of floral. So what's
0: um, what is VA? Just to break that down, because a lot of oh people Lordy. don't so, exactly know or what, what what's no what, sure when, when so, you say it has volatile city or VA. You're as you right. Call I, it, I, I, I should. Uh, what, for an average person, like kind of what what is that? Like, what is it? Good? Is it bad? Is it a flaw? Like, is no, it a yeah. Benefit? So, <laughs> so te- technically, it is a flaw. Um, I, I you know, geez, I'm on the
1: record for this, so I I, I don't know how uh, how confidently <laughs> and great and everything else it is um basically yeah it's kind of that it's like diluted nail polish remover uh it's it's a little bit of a like like pickle brine pickle juice um it it just kind of gives the wine lift it's kind of the smell of italy if you will you also get it you can get it grenache and zinfandel as well um in the rhone valley you know you'll get it a little bit uh also um the explanation i got got if there's any winemakers listening they're probably going to beat me up about this (laughs) but what i heard um Oh boy. All right. We're going for it.
3: So, <laughs> All right, so like it. Fa- fall on your face. Dude. Yeah. Right. Fall on, fall your, face. Fall right <laughs> on your face.
1: So, so what I heard is that a lot of times whenever they, uh, if there's too little or too much nutrition in the must, um, pre-fermentation, um, you'll, you'll start building up acetobacter, right. In, in your must itself. So what happens, uh, let's take like Barola, for example, right. Good classic producer Barola. They're going to put it in a large boat. Right. So it's going to this large, uh, you know, Oak vessel, um, and a lot of times, uh, because what I heard is, uh, quote, unquote, there's a lot of lazy Italians who aren't going to top
0: up their... Uh, their. No,
1: they totally don't do
0: that at all. <laughs> Italians being lazy? Come on. So anyway, yeah, right? So when they want to work, they'll work really hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you work, you work for an Italian importer. When, so. It, when it, <laughs> so you're very good. Break that down. <laughs> when they want to work...
1: So they'll work hard. So, uh, yeah, uh,
2: my name, I don't know what my name is right now. Anyways, so. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I'm Italian and I think Italian DNA has a gene in there that it's the Kings of last minute. They're like, <laughs> right. well, we could do
1: it, but we'll do it later. <laughs> yeah. uh, it'll get there eventually. Right. Yeah. So, so what happens a lot of times these barrels aren't getting topped up. So, so the oxygen that's in the barrel already is going to exacerbate what they have in there. And that's going to bring on a little more of the ethyl acetate, um, a little more of that. I, I mean, maybe I'm not explaining it correctly. Uh, but you're going to get a little more of that element, so so it's going to come out a little more, um, which is why you have that. I mean, think of Brunello, a classic aging vessel for Brunello is going to be a large, a larger vessel as well. Um, you know, there's modernists, obviously, that are doing things with Barrique, but we're talking more more of the classics. Um, you're going to see a little more of that, and uh, and and it literally manifests, like I said, is like that nail polish
0: remover, that uh, that pickle juice. I I don't know. It's kind of like a. I used to get a lot in Italian wines. You're right. It was Uh something like showing Italian wines. I used to get it a lot in Tuscan wines. Mm -hmm. Um, Not as much in like Nebbiolo based, unless it was like a smaller producer, like some mountain esque producers. Like I'd get stuff like. Yeah, it was something. The rustic wineries I typically sometimes yeah. get it in a little bit more. It's almost noble, though.
1: I, I, I'm I'm saying it like it's bad. It's not bad to me. It's it's delicious. It's and a it, distinct part of yes, those wines. It is, and and even like Proditore, for example, I think has the prettiest, one of the prettiest expressions of it. You know, where you smell it and you're like, oh my god, this is intoxicating. You know, I I love the way it smells, and it's you know it it's talking to me like it's I don't know how to describe it. It's really weird, I guess, in that regard. Um, you'll get it a lot in Amarone too. You'll, you'll get a lot of VA typically, um, in those wines, but that's kind of what volatile acidity is. Um, if you have any marginal, God, I hate saying like that, any marginally produced Zinfandel, let's say you have a Zinfandel you forgot about on the shelf, right? And you go back and it's 10 years old and you crack it open and it's VA the bad way, right? Where it almost gives you a headache. It's like, you're literally smelling nail polish. Um, and it's just, it's pervasive and it gives you a headache. That's, like, the bad side of VA, right? But if you can, kind of like in Burgundy we are talking earlier, like, there's, like, that noble reduction. When you can get to that point, before you get onion skin and and bicycle tire and all these other bad things from our captains, right? If you can get to that good point where where reduction is giving lift, it's a really beautiful thing. You know, like, Dom Perignon is a really good example. It's a very reductive style champagne. um, And you are going to get... In a way, you're going to get a little bit of this kind of oniony lift, but it's so pleasant and so amazing in the wine. It's it's really fun to have. But it's almost like if you can have a little bit of that, if you can harness it, uh, Brett and Bordeaux, for example, I think is incredible. I love it. Oprion and the Brett does it for me. uh, There's
0: very few people who will admit to that on a radio show, That that they like Brett, that they don't think that it's a... Oh, I love brett. I mean, there's I, bad I, levels of brett. There don't is. Get me wrong oh, yeah, yes. A ton of brett, yeah. There is. You know? I, I dig it in a wine. Like, my friends know it. When they tell me, like, they see the like the little glow in my eye, like, oh, you're, smell, you're smelling the petting zoo. <laughs> you must be drinking a Brunello. <laughs> <laughs> like.
2: It's funny that you say the thing about this the Italian smell, and it is, there are certain things that have very distinct smells, and I tell them this all the time. It's like, I, there's a smell in Italian wines I get that I don't know, and maybe it is the VA, because I don't... I'm not good with the psalm side of it. Like I smell roses or tar. This I look at like okay, well I think it was in this soil or it was grown on this side of hill because I'm like okay, well there's acid in this one or there's like a lot of oak in this, so I see why they did that because there's no backbone to it. Like I got like a technical aspect. So, I only get my smells when he sits there and goes, Does it smell like a horse fart? I'm like, Yeah, because we're drinking Brunello. <laughs> so, I get that. Is that horse fart?
1: I like that. Yeah. Really well, cool.
2: he started, yeah, because we were talking about this one time where he's like, Oh, it smells like dying leaf or decay. I don't know dying leaf or decay. I'm from Arizona. I don't know what dies out here. So, it's just constant <laughs> oh, spring.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm still enamored with horse fart. Horse <laughs> fart?
0: <laughs> it's the bre- Yeah, the bread. The bread. Uh, growing up in upstate New York, I was part of 4 H. Uh, there you go yeah you know go with what you know so so (laughs) So, yeah so what so what do you think it is then if on your on your
1: initial initial nose if i if if i had to dame it and i had to go with it i mean i'd I'd probably be looking i mean i'd have to go a little more into it i think it is italian i'd probably go with nebbiolo just off that those three seconds that i smelled it um i purposely was avoiding this wine this whole time because i don't know if you're gonna ask me about it um so i've been doing anything with it but yeah i mean initially it's kind of pretty it's lifted um nebbiolo is one of the few red grapes that actually has monoterpenes in it so you are going to get some of those floral aromas that's just kind of what makes nebbiolo nebbiolo um so yeah so i mean it's kind of pretty i I really good advice i got from laura manic she's an ms um out in new york
0: great lady cork buzz uh yes cork buzz very good yeah i've met i've met her a few times yeah manic she's incredible um i think she was the youngest female master Sam when she passed it I think she passed it. She was like 22 years old or 25 years old or something. She was she was working uh, out here. Yeah, she's she's a stud. Uh, she was working she out was, here. Yeah, she was uh, managing what is now that colorful hotel right in Old Town Scottsdale. The yeah. Saguaro. Yes, it was an Italian restaurant for a little bit. It's now called the District or something like that, or Distretto or. Yeah, she, she yeah right what, across from where Olive and Ivy is. When this is before no no no, no uh,
2: right across from like AZ88. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Or the the
0: Scottsdale Civic Center. Okay. Yeah, so it was an Italian restaurant, Fiamma. Fiamma. I'm going to have to ask her about this. When Fiamma went in there, she was the Somme. This was back when I was at North, so I'm going to say this was 2004. Wow. She was over there for a period of time. That's where I first met her, and then... I had heard that she passed her master psalm and all this, and then she opened Quirk Buzz in New York. My last time in New York, uh, we actually went to go see her and had some really cool wines. We're drinking She's oh, We're drinking cults. Oh. <laughs> Hanging out there. Well, that So sucks. it v- seems... Vias. Vi- 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 <laughs> v- vi-
2: so it seems like, you know, the way you've been talking about Arizona and the way you just mentioned that she was from out here, it seems like Arizona's got this farm system, like if it was a baseball term, yes. like a farm system of psalms, but everybody's kind of
1: going Everyone elsewhere. Leaves. Yeah, they do. So... I mean, not not to kind of toot my own horn or do anything else, but before I passed the advanced, the last one to pass was uh, Thomas Radcliffe, um, and he passed in 2000. So it had been 17 years since someone had passed the advanced exam. In- Klafke, not? That's insane. No, Klafke, he's, uh, he's certified. He's great. he's great. He's over at Turnbull. Yeah. yeah, yeah Klafke's Klav- great. Coffee, yeah. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a good friend of ours. Hey, and- Tom, how you doing? Yeah.
2: Again, I see him every time I go to nap. I make sure to stop by and see him. He's such a good dude. Yeah, he's... he's, Man, he
0: is muscle-bound right now. He texted
2: me like a... He is yoked. Yeah.
0: (laughs) He texted me like a week ago, like on Monday morning at like 8 o'clock. He's like, you guys want to record today? He's like, I'm flying out at 2. And I'm like, dude, it's like 8 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) He got a Monday. Like,
1: I don't mind as long as you like give me a little notice, but... God, he's great, but yeah. So, uh, God, so okay. What was it? Where was I at? I, I have a bunch of open boxes right now. Which open box was I on last? Well,
0: Samay, Lori, Laura. I was talking yeah. about yeah. that farm, system, farm of system of Arizona.
1: Yes, yes. Far, well, I was going on the farm system. Yeah, a lot of people just leave, you know. And it uh, you're about it, to it, toot your own horn. Well, I, just just about <laughs> the last person to pass for for advance. It, it'd been a while, and it's it's such a shame. There's so much money, and Phoenix, for example, is I mean, we're what the fifth biggest or sixth biggest. We keep yeah. kind of alternating between the two. There's a lot of money out here. There's a lot of interest. There's a lot of people that like to dine. We're just missing the beverage professionals, and and a lot of the great ones end up, you know, moving on, going somewhere else. You know, I mean, even me, I, I you know, not to say anything bad, I, I probably get a, a, you know, a good job offer every every couple months, but I'm so committed to seeing Arizona yeah. see it through. Yeah, awesome. I, I, I really want it to work. There's no reason we shouldn't be knocking on the door of Seattle in five years or Seattle, uh, San Francisco, Seattle. Uh, New York, all these other places.
0: We're considered, even for us to be considered a mid-tier market now, which is really cool. So Um, I think you you mentioned a word earlier that I think sums it up, and it's the fact that so many restaurants want to hire... The the sommelier managers Sommager, yeah Sommager. sommelier because y- you go and you you spend all this time studying you get your master and then somebody wants you to run the pass and run food and bus tables and now you're having to worry about doing the server schedule and then you have to worry about doing running the hostess desk and you're like I, I went to school I want to be a som yeah. I want to sell wine I know that if I dedicate myself to working the floor. I can increase the sales in the restaurant by X amount of dollars and pay my own salary sure. just by me working the floor. But instead, you want me to write your wine list and be a manager. And we've had too many of those positions. That's why people go elsewhere because there hasn't been a lot of yeah. sommelier
3: true specific jobs
0: here yes but until we have a base of people that are good at it they're not going to have the jobs for it either
1: and that's and that's the biggest thing uh with us that we're doing so so we're, we're starting a society of arizona sommeliers it's kind of one of the next things we're doing um we want to make it a nonprofit, more uh more foundation very educational driven um the big idea behind it is um we want to be able to send sommeliers out um for example you know, uh, Damien, you're here. All right. You're going to take a group of six sommeliers. You're going to go to Italy. Here's your itinerary. You're familiar with Italy already. That happens to work out, whatever it is. But uh, I mean, people here, they need a global perspective and nothing helps you learn a region like being there. Yes. Yes. You know, in October of 2015, I was in the right bank. I was at St. Emilion, and there's no way to really describe that. I mean, you can read all day long about maritime climate and the influence it has and clay soils and there's the buttonhole up where Petrus is and you know, all these clay soils where, where a bunch of Merlot's growing and everything, you read about it. You hear, you know, you hear about it. You might even look at pictures, but nothing gives you perspective like being there and picking Merlot berries off and actually eating them and, and seeing Cabernet over there and be like, well, shit, there's there's a nine gram per liter difference. I think they just changed it. It's 194 to whatever it is now. But at the time I was there, it was a nine, uh, nine gram per liter difference in minimum must weight required for both of them. She's so like, well, I should. Six, six grams per liter, that's about in the human threshold. I should be able to tell the difference. And Merlot grapes are sweeter, as they should. So what's going to happen in that wine now? So you're going to have more sugar pre-fermentations. You're going to have more alcohol, more body, right? More color, you know, thicker. So all these things, just from tasting grapes, there's things that translate into the glass, but you'd never... See that if you weren't there, you know, and then seeing Saint Emilion, and
0: they'll talk to him like, oh, there's there's simply a ditch that separates this vineyard and that vineyard, and you're like, yeah, right. And then you go over there, and you're like, oh my god, literally, it's like a son of a bitch. A, there's a it, ditch. It's a small little dirt ditch that I can jump across, like. <laughs> but that's the difference between a fifty dollar bottle of wine and a two thousand dollar bottle of wine. Like that, that literally that ditch that separates them mm-hmm. separates the soils, the drainage, and the prestige. And you try a wine from both those vineyards; they taste very different. And oh. especially produced by the same winemaker. Yeah,
2: there was one from California that I had. I went to that uh, Pinot on the River uh, uh-huh. up in okay. Hillsburg, and I, I'm I'm gonna say a producer. I don't know if it's them, but I think it might I think it might have been Black Kite. I want to say. Yeah, Black Kite. And they had a very cool vineyard where it was on a slope, and they were like right up against the forest. And the base of it was sort of flatlandish, and then it's kind of the second site was right where that U started to form, where it goes. And then the other one was like in the forest, like they still had the trees surrounding it. And all three of those were vastly different, extraordinarily different wines from real fruit-driven kind of Russian River the way you think it would with like the high cola and flavors. And then all of a sudden, the turn kind of started getting a little bit more tannic, uh, a little bit drier in some ways. And then all of a sudden, that one that was in the forest had nothing but piney nose to it. And it was like a night and day difference of style. And this was a six-acre vineyard that just all it did was just go straight up. That was it. One acre wide, seven acres up. And it was insane how different wines could be all within a football field of each other, basically. Then it's fun trying wines like that because, like, that's – I get – like, clearly, I'm smiling right now. But, like, stuff like that is so fun to see how vastly different because then you could pick and choose. You can have a producer you like and be like, oh, well, I'd rather have that site versus this site or your blend or something.
0: Well, that's why it's so important having a sommelier that you can trust or a wine professional at a wine shop that you can trust that you can ask these questions on and they can guide you in the right direction Mm -hmm. because not everybody has a chance to go and experience that. Yeah. Not everybody has a chance to go to the right bank walk the vineyards. This isn't something... There's not like daily tours where you're like, oh, I'm just going to go. Yeah. Right? You kind of got to... It's not the beach. Like the average <laughs> Americans, like, oh, I got a vacation. I'm gonna go to the beach, or I'm gonna go to the mountains. I'm gonna go skiing. We're like, I'm gonna go lick rocks and p- pick underripe berries, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, <God>. or, or <laughs> we go to Starbucks and eat green. What do we have? A uh, green, green coffee, coffee beans. beans? Yeah, we're eating. We asked green the Starbucks drink. people, can we have your green coffee beans? And we sat there and ate some. <laughs> you've heard this. How many times you've heard a sommelier describe a wine? It's like, oh, I'm getting hints of green coffee bean. I've heard this plenty of times. I've never, I've never had a green coffee bean. Either That's have I? Funny. Yeah, I've but heard I, it. we did. I've, you've heard it too. Yes. So we were at these starbucks roastery in seattle and we're like we saw the big things of fresh coffee beans we're like can we try a green coffee bean i'm like dude the guy looked at us so confused he's like what why would you <laughs> want to do that i'm like because sommeliers keep describing wine as green coffee bean and i've never had one so i want to try it yeah the, the other one i love people use for uh
1: they'll usually say it for like stem inclusion they say the wine's very woodsy and i'm like what woodsy? the hell yeah what the hell is woodsy i mean i I guess I kind of understand what they're going for, and hell, I've caught myself saying
0: it a couple times just out of association. But what the hell is woodsy? I think that's just a dumbed down version of trying to explain some of that forest floor stuff. Because we were talking about it in one of the last shows. There's a difference between a a leaf that just fell off the uh, tree versus something that's decaying, uh-huh. and you know, or if you're talking about a flower, there's a very dif- there's a difference between a fresh grown flower, a fresh picked flower, and a rotting flower. Sure. And these are things unless you are actually studying and thinking about it, you don't notice those differences. So, woodsy is a generalization. I could see. Some, yeah. I guess even then, you could break it down.
2: What kind of woods are we talking? Like a pine oh, yeah. forest kind of thing? You're talking like jungle style? I mean, I, I was. It's one thing I'll pay attention to more now is next time we go to, like, New York or something, it's going to be smells that I'm going to be looking for constantly. Like, oh, we're at Damien's mom's house. I get There's a farm across the street, and the wind just blasted me in the face. And I'm like, oh, yep, there it is. All right, I understand that smell a little bit more versus me constantly sitting there. Like, I just got a bunch of juice in, um, obviously, a few months back when we went through harvest season. And I had three different Chardonnay sites I took from one from Dry Creek, one from Sonoma Coast, and actually one of my favorite ones, which I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. I still have it in tank. I don't even know if I want the mallow to hit because being in Arizona, I have to kind of force inoculate it. I got this one really cool uh, single acre vineyard and the bottom half constantly had the fog sitting on it and the top really didn't. And I got both grapes and there's a salinity to my like 60 gallon tank and the other 60 gallon tank doesn't have this like salinity to it because constantly that fog would just be most of the time hitting this one thing and lingering a little longer or it got like the mist in, whatever it was. And I'm like, well, do I do it differently? It's literally like a two acre site and it's vastly different now the flavor is the same but there's that that slight difference that vastly changes the wine that's kind of i I like paying more attention to these smells and these different unique characters and something that i can get so it's always like a new thing to have (laughs) no
1: it's i mean it's a great thing to have
0: but You, you need to have that spark
1: Oh, sorry. There I'm not come. talking in the mic. Sorry. I, I, I like your good. little hand gesture. That's really <laughs> good. So, <laughs> service not the mic, a, I'm Jason. i not on video yet. So. <laughs> Both hands. Both hands. One,
0: once again, this is the hammock. We're the oh, bread. Yeah, I love it. Is, is, is that going to stay in? Maybe. Please, please leave the hammock part in. That was. That was That's really, the introduction. I think, I think we got to get a picture
2: of a hammock, and every time anybody asks about it, we say why. There's.
1: This is the famous hammock.
0: So somebody looking to get into becoming a sommelier, somebody who's just going to listen to this, like, man, I want to do it. I don't even know where to start. How does someone start? Like, how did you started by working in the restaurant business. You had a psalm yeah. that you worked under. But how does someone just s- jump into this as a lifestyle or sure. a career? So Bobby Stuckey had a great
1: podcast with Levy Dalton. And that was one of the things he talked about is what makes good psalms. Um, and I really have to agree with him. I, I think I'm just going to lift his language. You got to wait tables. You know, you have to... Uh, being able to you know to to work a station, being able to deal with people, being able to sell wine, to learn the food, everything that kind of goes with it. I mean, um, I mean, let's face it, sommelier is is kind of an extension of. I mean, it's service driven, but it's kind of an extension of what what a server does every day, right? I mean, it's and the one sad thing about about this state especially is uh, the service industry, restaurant jobs are really sneered at, and it's really sad. It's 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 really sad. You know, everyone. Oh, you're a server? What do you really do? Oh, are you ready for a big boy job? Oh yeah, I'm just a server. The way people talk about it, you so, go to San Francisco, people, I mean, they they go to college to serve, right? They they fight for these jobs and and all these major markets do. And we don't have that. And people still no call no show. People don't I don't get it. They they make the money, but they don't they don't treat it like like a re, you know, a real job. This is the I'm third time that.
2: we've heard this. Like and, and at- on the next part, so Valentina from Nona, um, was just here last week. And she said the exact same thing you were talking about. Like it's not like a professional thing. And what'd you say? It's
0: an in-between. It's a be- it's an it's in-betweener a, job. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. it's people always treat it as an in-between job. What do you what are you doing? I'm doing this in between going to school, in between my next job, my next career. Or, hey, I'm I'm between this. It's it's an in-between job. And this is one of the few places where people have that perception where they can come and they can make $100,000 a year waiting tables. Yes. And it's an in-between job? Yeah. And and no, it's not. It's not at all. I think
1: it's one of the most noble jobs that's still kind of out there, I'll be honest with you. I mean, now it's not, you know, you're not, I mean, for Christ's sake, we're not doing heart surgery. We're not doing anything else. And a lot of sommeliers need to learn that, number one. Like, dude, calm the fuck down. You're not. You're not changing the world. You're not feeding the hungry. You're feeding people. You're nourishing people. You're making experience. You're doing something special. But I mean- Tone it you're down. You're kind a little of a bit. drug. You're making people happy for, uh, yeah. a, for a time frame. Yeah, and, and and be the best damn drug you can be, yeah. right? But but in the same tone, you also it's really sad that people when you're ashamed of your own job, that's that's a really bad place to be. And it shouldn't be. Serving's amazing, but you know, back to what we're talking about, you wanna be a good sommelier, you gotta be able to wait tables, you gotta be able to handle a section, you gotta be able to do all these things, and then you build from there and then you learn and you build. Um, one of the things that made me successful, poor uh poor Kyle Erickson, I had a thousand and one questions for that guy every day. <laughs> every day. I'm sure he hated me or maybe he loved it at some certain point. I know now when when my servers come to me with questions, I love it. Like bother me, bug me every day. Something. I don't care how many questions you have, hit me with all of them. I love the teach. I love the the nurturing aspect of it and everything else. Um but don't be scared to do that. You got to go collect knowledge on your own. Uh, that's probably, that's the only way you're going to be successful. If you're going through the court of masters, theory is really something you have to do on your own. You know, I can't borrow someone's, someone's, I can't remove their head and borrow it for a week and fill it with information and then reattach it to their neck. It doesn't work that way. You know, you have to crack open books. You have to, you have to get an nitty gritty. You, you have to kind of do it that way. So it's on you you know, on your time off, if you really want to do this, you you have to assimilate all that knowledge. And that's the one that takes the longest, you know, the longest time. It sounds
0: like you needed someone to inspire you too. Like well, you needed totally. that that you and I both mentioned this multiple times, how there was somebody that lit that spark. Mm-hmm. There was that one thing then our there was a moment, but then there was somebody attached to that. Sure. And it was somebody you knew that you could ask questions to without being scared. Mm-hmm. Granted, I mean, we worked with Kyle, we worked with Jake, we bartended with Jake. So uh-huh. God, we, Jake was great. We, we knew we could ask him questions and he wasn't going to, he'd give us shit because he was our friend, but he wasn't trying to talk down to us like he no, was no, better no. than us. No, he was great. And we had that kind where I think that there's a lot of people that don't have that network, you know, but want to get into the psalm. Somn- Mm-hmm. You know, they watch the movies. Yeah, they, they, they think they this is a career that maybe they want to try. Maybe they've never really been in the restaurant business. Like, how do they get into it? It's got to sure. be tough. Like, well, yeah, I mean, it is jumping headfirst into this wine business. It's a lot of costs too.
1: There, yeah, I mean, there's definitely some cost. I mean, getting uh, that's probably another major complaint you get a lot of times when blind tasting is is making sure you're tasting classic examples. Um, and I've had people tell me, "Well, what's classic? What's this and that?" And I was like, "Okay." If you were to, to, I mean, this is a major can of worms, but if you were to talk about what's classic in, I don't know, five sentences or less or whatever, in the nutshell, um, I always use this Moroccan diner analogy, right? So there's some Moroccan diner, right, going out to dinner. Is he going to know what Napa Cabernet is? Well, of course, he's going to know Napa Cabernet. Is he going to know what Bordeaux is? Yes. Is he going to know, you know, skin fermentation kerner coming from Minneapolis? You know? (laughs) Not a chance, right? That's probably not classic. You know, so... All these other wines that people have, oh, well, I had this, but he's doing something different. It's like, no, he, he, what did that region get known for? There, there's a reason when you look at a region, there's a classic set of producers. We talked about Toy the Barbaresco, right? They really drive the style of Barbaresco. That's a very classic producer. Um, I love Gaia's wines. Don't get me wrong. I probably wouldn't use those in a blind because he uses a ton of new oak. Um, and and that's just, that's kind of a style. And that's that's not really what Barbaresco was built on, right? So so you need to think about you know what got it on the map, what's it known for? I mean, look at even Rioja now. I mean, I mean, classic Rioja is in the minority now. You know, I mean, you know, you have Lopez Heredia. You know, you have La Rioja Alta. You know, it was very classic. Um, but then, how many very you know? How about the modern guys? There's Rhoda out there, right? That's that's making super you know modern wines. Marcus and Murrieta, you have the. Uh, uh, Marquez the Riscal. I mean, you know, those are very modern producers, you know. So. I
2: literally have a bottle that on it, and I I actually really enjoy this wine, but it needs a lot of time. But on it, they proudly say 200% new oak on this thing.
3: <laughs> really? And the crazy thing
2: is it's I've not, it yeah. You know. I, I, I One day we'll open it up, we'll do like a Spanish one. But um, it's not so overpowering. Like, you know, like there's some that I get, like there's some wines I've had recently where I have so much oak on it. You immediately go, oh my God, all I taste is tree bark. <laughs> this guy, you don't notice it, but the fact that they said that we age it for 12 months in a new barrel, and then we dump it into a brand new barrel for another 12 months, you're like, Jesus, dude, what are you, like, what yeah. are you guys doing? <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it's
0: it sells. you but, know? but you don't want to use that for your blind tasting necessarily, because no. that's not encompassing the region. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you're doing Riesling, I think it's a great way to see different areas of the world. A Claire Valley Riesling is going to be very different in the glass than a... Um, something from Nahe, which is going to be very different than something sure. from Washington State. Sure. And and I mean, and it's funny, like Clear Valley is very classic,
1: right? I mean, you know, th- there's the elevated petrol. Uh, you know, you're going to have a little more alcohol to the wine. I mean, it, it's very fruit forward. The, the lime is, is very snappy. It's it's a distinctive style. You know, really the petrol is, is almost obscene. You know, the, the racket balls or tennis balls, as everyone says, <laughs> you're really going to get it out of there. I get more racquetball, but now, now I'm being an asshole. Um, <laughs> but, but... uh you know, that's still that's still a classic <laughs> style of, um, you know, of Riesling. Um, but see, now the Washington, for me, the Washington's a little different. Kind of like if I'm blind tasting my people on Germany, right? I'm probably not going to bring them a dry wine, like a dry Mosel, right? Mosel, the gift to the world that the Mosel gave was cabinet Riesling, right? So With, good. Was, it is. But that's, that's what Mosel's known for. So... Why mess with it? That's what they're known for. That's that's what's classic. If I'm going to be giving a Mosel wine, I'm probably not going to give Grosses Gevex. I love Grosses Gevex. Don't get me wrong, dry Riesing is incredible, but it's not it's not what put you know that's not what Germany. It is what they're about. This is kind of a hard one. It is what they're about, and they drink more dry than sweet out there. But <coughs> what really got it on the map was kind of a fruitier style, right? And especially in Mosel, that cabinet style is what they're known for. Um, so, in a in a blind, that's what you're going to get. I mean. You can say whatever you want about, you know, Milk, right? I mean, it's it's kind of an abomination. It was made and everything else, but I mean, for a long time, that's what a lot of people were drinking at Germany. That's what they thought Germany was. So there's still that stigma there. People still think all reasoning is going to be sweet. Yeah, it, it's it's not true. But that's kind of that's what they've built, you know. You know, a lot of things on in America, anyways. You know, same so. thing with rosé. People think of rosé, they immediately think of sweet, and
2: now it's taking a certain time before people are like, okay, well, now we could drink rosé, and it's not sweet. It's actually very good wine. Yeah. So I got I got to ask do you: Think is that a is that a market driven thing? Why people will change from a Mosul cabinet to well, we need to sell to ex consumers in another place, therefore we need to go full dry or we need to go full sweet? Sure. Or is it just a product of new people coming
1: up and experimenting? I, well, I, I think, okay, the dry... Okay, so let's take the Rheingau, for example, right? 1984... And,
2: the, and by the way, it doesn't have to just be Germany. It could be literally anything. Oh,
1: 100%. sure. Yeah. But but I mean, since we're right well, there... we we'll Germany. Yeah, it's kind of a good example, right? So so Carta was established in 1984 in the Rheingau, right? With the mission to promote dry wines. You know, 80% of all wines in Rheingau made are dry wines. Dry Riesling. All 80% of all Riesling, excuse me, in Rheingau is dry Riesling. You know, that's what they're drinking. That's, that's, that's what they know. That's what they're doing well, you know? And, uh... You know, so so card is really around the whole Ursus givex designation. And everything else, it doesn't necessarily have to be um, doesn't have to be a card a member, just a dry wine from there, from you know a uh, you know a Grand Cru site. But that's really the mission they're going for, and they they kind of change that whole paradigm, already, and that's really what they're pushing now. So, so sometimes, yeah, marketing. I think natural wine really is the one that's that's really guilty. Of jumping behind marketing, you know, like oh god, this wine's shit. This is really fucked up. Let's market it as natural, and everyone that smells like you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, leather sandals oh, yeah. and patchouli oil, you know, and driving their you know yeah. their their hippie van everywhere, they're going to get behind this, you know. And yeah, balsamic is a natural flavor. <sighs> oh god, right. <laughs> um, but, and it's kind of unfortunate though because the Gang of Four, right, uh, in in Beaujolais, right, they make incredible Gamay. Those are natural wines, and they're incredible natural wines but there's such a far cry from some of the different stuff that's coming out it's really sad that it's it's gotten this weird stigma you know i don't know i really wish we'd clean up what natural wine was you know it'd be easier to to get behind.
0: I wish they would clean up a lot of the, the wine laws and the governing behind it. But I mean, this is something that might never happen because unfortunately the people that put the laws in place don't have a clue about wines in general. Mm-hmm. So the person who's writing the laws is someone who probably drinks shitty beer and whatever wine was given to him for his <laughs> inauguration or his, <laughs> you know, and that, that's it. Pretty sure it. that's how sulfites
2: ended on a bottle. One congressman yeah. got a headache and went, what was that? And instead of them saying, uh, you idiot! You drank way the fuck too much of everything. He went. Well, it must be the sulfites in the wine. Therefore, we'll blame that. Yeah, and um,
0: unfortunately, like we brought it up, is that you can't put mega purple. You don't put uh, talcum or, uh, talcum, powder. or powder, <laughs> talcum powder, tannin powder. Sorry, talcum powder ends up in a wine. I think we got bigger problems. <laughs> yeah, right? that's, that's that horse butt flavor. <laughs> I mean. this is
2: made with a fine Arm and Hammer. <laughs> oh man! Right, By so the way, this Chardonnay is retardedly good it is insanely right?
0: good it's it's at first yeah i had that kind of funky goat cheese thing that yeah. ble- it blew off within 15 minutes yeah it's really starting to get to a good place it really is so you want, can you want to you want to tell us a little something about it yeah, to, uh, I, yeah, I know john, the... john doesn't know a whole lot about white burgundy and i don't either well I mean, sure i'm good I mean, at making it
1: this this <laughs> is one this is a bottle i was given so you know i, I don't really drive too much about this producer i, I don't know no, uh, no. to be honest i don't know a ton about it um, I mean, you know, it, it is, uh, it is Vujo. Uh, so, you know, they're over in the area there. So, um, so dumb this down. So, okay. So, so Vujo. Vineyard, Vujo. vineyard site. Uh, well, Clos de Vujo is a vineyard site. Right. Okay. And then Vujo is, uh, you know, it's a village. Okay. Right. Uh, that's out there. So this is a uh, de Prior. So this is one of their own single vineyards. It's not a uh, premier crew. It's not a grand crew. I mean, there's only really one grand crew on uh, Vujo, uh, but it is Monopole. So Monopole was, um, it's important, um, Because when Napoleonic Code hit uh, anytime, so for example, Damien, sorry, Damien, you're going to die in this example. Damien dies, right? The one vineyard he had, so he had the cancer vineyard, right? So the cancer vineyard now uh, is going to be split uh, four ways. He's got four heirs, right? So we're going to split this vineyard up in in four ways to all four kids, right? Now, whenever those four die, they've had four kids. So now you have one vineyard just past two generations, there's 16 owners on it now. Now take all the time it's taken to get way back from then to today, now we're talking about one person owns a row of vines, five vines. Who knows, right? I mean,
2: I mean, if you keep going on this time, all of a sudden by 2100 or 2050, you could have so many great, great grandchildren that they own like a bushel of grapes or even up to a point where like they could own just a couple grapes. These six and, and a half grapes are going. mine, damn yeah. it.
1: You know, I'm marketing it
0: the way I want to. This is my They get one, a, they get a check work. for a Chipotle burrito every year. My <laughs> one bottle.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, that's it. So, so that's what's kind of unique about having a monopole is, that, is it's a singular owner. Um, the one thing is there was always, now this is, this is one I really need to ask someone about, cause there's always the idea that if it's monopole, that it's just that one person making it, but that's not always true. One person can own it and it can be different, right? Uh, it can be a different person taking from it. Usually, and God, this is, this is where burgundy gets really confusing. And this is why I think a lot of people get out of it. And even me, I'm getting ready to go tackle the master's exam. This is kind of a tough one. Cause, um, well, I don't want, eh, let's not go too, too far into it. um. Excuse me, but uh, there's a Monopole that was owned by uh, by one producer. Now Albert Bichot is sourcing and making this Monopole. They're listing Monopole on the label, but they're not the ones that own it. So now, did did part of that go to someone else and they're making? it? They're still labeling it Monopole or not? Is this person? God, you asked me to simplify Burgundy. I'm sorry, I did the complete seems fucking opposite. It pretty hard. So yeah, it's, it seems like the laws are kind of
2: stretched. They're getting stretched thinner and thinner. Sure. And so it's kind of causing a problem.
0: Yeah. Berg- well, Napoleon put pretty basic guidelines out there but you have corporations and families for the last hundred plus years that sure. have now grade the black and white unfortunately yeah, no totally I also have. sorry to interrupt
2: but is this also why
1: negotiance became so big
2: in
3: Burgundy? Uh, no it,
0: that was precisely why is because for a lot of time okay let's
1: say us three you know we own a vineyard right we, you know we I don't died have that I much. thought oh Damien's well, yeah, dad actually you died we're dealing with your shitty grandkids <laughs> okay no, yeah nice raising your grandkids suck
0: <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and they're one third of our one yeah, 16th right so So, so
1: God, getting a decision out of them is like pulling teeth. So, But that's what's happening, right? We want to make a decision. We want to market this wine. Hey, we should do this with our wine. Well, I don't want to do that with mine. Well, I don't want to do that with mine. Well, fuck you. I'm not doing that either. So now um, they want to go off and bottle their own. Okay, they can only make so much. We want to bottle our own. Well, what, what facility are we going to use? What's going to happen? Well, you're not using my fucking facility. You Go get your own. So now you have to take your little bit of grapes and go do your own thing. And then it just got really cumbersome, Right. To do things, maybe you, him, and a couple grandkids will go do your one thing, but we don't want to do that because we don't believe in that style of winemaking. Who knows? So then, eventually, negotiants would come in, buy everyone's wine together, and just label it under one. You get a fat check. You're happy, yeah. right? So you're making money. You don't have to worry about the winemaking, you don't have to worry about anything else. You just sell your fruit off. But or so negotiants can either buy fruit, they can buy finished juice, they can buy finished wines. And uh, there's a lot of things. Um, God, Burgundy's so complicated. Sorry. So there's a lot of times where um, uh, there's like sharecropper stuff too, right? So, Damien, you're going to farm his vineyard. You're going to get the majority of it, but you're going to give him a barrel or a few cases yeah. or whatever finished wine with no label on it. He'll slap his own label and he'll sell it. So there's cases where you'll you'll find the exact same the exact same wine, exact same bottle, different label, exact same fruit made by the same person for 300 bucks less.
2: I I deal with that a lot with bulk wine out here. Yeah. In like California and Arizona.
0: Unfortunately, in France, that happens with high-end wines. Yes. I mean, that was, when I was dealing with Chateau Tessier in Uh Saint-Emilion, they were having bottles of theirs that went to the Negotiants, then hit the gray markets, hit the other markets, and he's like... We would see their wines in the market, and he's like, But I didn't sell those. Those actually came from the go- the negotiant markets and yeah. they can't control the pricing on that. And it was
1: Burgundy's a, or excuse me, Bordeaux. That was Bordeaux. And that mess. was yeah, that was the Cordier system is is and we got yelled at in that when we were in we were in Bordeaux. They you American, you only care about the big growth, or you know, they, you know, it's your fault that we're in this mess. And I'm like, Well, you guys sponsored this trip. Where the hell did we go? We've only gone to classified gross. We're staying at Bellafon Belsier, which is a Grand Cru Classe. So you're talking about, you want us to help the little guys. What are you showing us?
3: You
0: know <laughs> yeah. what, what you've spent the last few minutes describing is what makes these wines unapproachable to the American. Because an American picking yes. up this label right now going, well, I love Claude de Vaugeau. My My grandmother gave me a bottle we drank one time. It was one of the best bottles I ever had. Well, they buy this. that just says Vougeot. It's now a different wine. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't say Chardonnay. It doesn't say Burgundy. It uh-huh. doesn't say... So an, an, an American who is an amateur at wine doesn't know a lot but really loves this bottle trying to find a, a substitute it's difficult it, it, it is very difficult it's
2: funny you say that because you're right the label in America is important we were talking about one point where labels people will just look and they see like a Papillon or you know the prisoner and they see the label they immediately oh, recognize Finney. it good for you Finney right but uh, like so when we helped us uh, with Brooke and obviously James Taylor over at Quench uh, open up Wine Warehouse you know we were ordering French wines and obviously to fill it in and so we had like Louis Latour but in some cases, the delivery drivers would even drop off the wrong ones. They would bring in the Jeffrey Chamberton. And I know I'm butchering all these names. No, so you said that great. Name. Jeffrey Chamberton. Oh, right, good. Right. Yeah. And But we ordered just the basic like $14 one. Or we'd order like a Premier crew and we got a Grand crew. Because even the warehouse guy looked at it and went, ah, I don't know, it all looks the same, and just threw a case on there. Mm-hmm. And I've had people who have even come in and they look at it and go, I had a bottle of something from Burgundy and it was this one thing and they would just kind of stare and look around and be like, I don't know which one it is and I can't tell you which one it is versus if a guy walks in and goes, oh man, it was Knuckles with a tattoo. Oh, it's Papillon.
3: <laughs> right? Oh, hey,
2: it's a girl standing by a, uh, a old car with a knife in her hand. Oh, it's machete. Like I, I could... Recognize and tell you probably what it was. I did
0: that at AJ's with a single vineyard Barolo once. They had ordered this wasn't from our company. This was from another distributor. But I walked in. They had the single vineyard like two hundred dollar Barolo listed for the introductory wine. They had misshipped it. Ooh, yeah. And I was like, My, snap it up. I'm taking all so this f- forty dollars for those. He goes, yeah, I'll go. I'll take them all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, I I didn't say a word. Those just and went in my cart, and they went home with me. <laughs> right? I mean, and, and at that
1: point, if the person that's responsible for that, if they're not, I mean, well, I mean, shame on them, right? They yeah. they should kind of know this. This is why it's important for knowledge. So uh, there's not really an easy, cutesy way. I mean, you have to do some research with Burgundy to be able to know. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say if you really want to be able to decipher labels, be somewhat dangerous with it. I'd probably learn the villages, the major villages, anyways. And really, honestly, Grand Cru's, and you, just by those, you should be able to decipher kind of where you're going. So the rule of thumb now, they put Grand Cru on the label now, but for for a time, I forgot what year they started this, for a while, they didn't put it on there. So the way you'd always know, if it was Bourgogne, you know, Bourgogne Rouge, Bourgogne Blanc, I just usually say Bourgogne, right? You knew kind of what it was. Um, if it was a village wine, it'll list the villages where it's important to know the village, right? Because for example, you have, you know, von Romane, a village, Right. But then you have, you know, obviously La romane which is a Grand Cru, right? Um, so so that gets a little tough. But if you knew that Von Romane is a village and there's only that name on there, you know it's a village level wine. Now, if you add village and a vineyard name on top of it, even if you didn't know what the what the the vineyard name was, but you saw a village, then you saw a vineyard, you know it's Premier Cru because they'll always put the two of those together. And if it's Grand Cru, it'll only have the Grand Cru name on there. Okay. Right? So, I mean, it, it's a little convoluted. So think about it like uh, Domaine Le Fleuve, right? We're in... He has his Bourgogne Blanc, great wines by the way. Then he has Puligny-Montrachet. Okay, now you'll see Puligny-Montrachet with um, Clavillon on there, right? So now you know that is from Puligny-Montrachet, and that's a single vineyard, which is a Premier Cru quality. Or if you happen to see in Puligny-Montrachet, you see Montrachet, right? Now you know because it's just Montrachet that is a Grand Cru now. At that point, so it is kind of complicated, but that's that can kind of help you out a little bit. There's only thirty four. I only say there's only 34. There's only 34 Grand Cru's. So it's, uh, I mean, there, there's a bit to memorize, I guess. Yeah. And Chablis, technically, it's now. Now, this is where Burgundy gets complicated. You have seven Ludis, but you have eight Clemats that make up Chablis Grand Cru, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> See, this this,
0: this, this, yeah, this is where you start confusing everybody. And like, I'm the, sorry. The ordinary people in America. No, I get it. Like. This is where we love about it. We love studying this kind yeah. of science. Oh, I'm These even thinking here like,
2: wow, that's, that's a lot to get right there. But
0: yeah, I mean, Burgundy's really confusing. But what, what's cool for the average person, if they want to learn this, break it down. Start buying wines from those individual towns and say, you know what? I really love the stuff from this area or I love the stuff from this, this village mm-hmm. or this vineyard. And then just throw a party to all your friends. Here's the rule. You have to bring, everybody has to bring a wine from this village. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, everybody and, brings Pomard today. And, and then you start breaking that down more and more. And then that's, that's the best way to learn. I Totally. You totally, can't listen exactly. to a podcast and learn it because you're just going to get confused trying to listen to it. It's right like now, taking yeah, Spanish for whole life and never, ever talking to anybody who ever spoke any Spanish. <laughs> and then being like, you know, I'm, I'm ready to teach I'm someone. Ready to or, yeah. or, or, <laughs> or, or reading a book, a Spanish book, a book on span, how to speak Spanish and then trying to speak it. Like, yeah. you can't do no, totally. it. Yeah, you got to be able to hack it. So, um, All right, yeah, so, Burgundy's complicated. All right. So, um,
1: chardonnay it is chardonnay 100 yeah. So now now just just because we want to be nerdy and go with it technically where this is from it only has to be 85% chardonnay no shit and you, I didn't know that I thought by law that it always had to be 100% uh-uh. and you can do up to 50 let me see if I get this right it's up to 15% pinot gris pinot blanc and pinot noir I think um, I don't know if pinot noir is allowed for the white but i know in in pinot noir you're allowed up to 15% chardonnay pinot gris pinot blanc
0: i learned something new wow i didn't know that either. yeah i thought so, it had to always be 100% no no not not necessarily so and is that a rule f- across burgundy or for almost, just parts uh, of chablis or parts of uh, uh, well no chablis has to be 100% Chardonnay. okay so there's there's
1: there's no there's no always 100% on in chablis yes and um but but in the cote d'or for example uh, i mean it it varies by village um but yeah most of the time you're on the 85% rule being the being the main, and then you can supplement other things in there. Um, then of course you know there's like uh, aligote is allowed, and I love aligote. Aligote is great. so good; it is really good. Todd and,
2: Sawyer and uh, Oscar uh, over at I was a
1: great dudes at Atlas. Dude, they're
2: awesome. Uh, hey guys, they, how you they doing? turned me on to that one. I was like, holy, because they poured it for me, and I saw the show. Shib- I think it said. Uh, I it, it said something on there. Oh, yeah, or Bourgogne. I was like, oh, this is the weirdest tasting Chardonnay. And they're like, no, it's, it's Aligote. And I was like, holy crap, this is so good. <laughs> it it's is. not that expensive either, which is so no. nice. And
1: there's good, uh, Michelle Lavarge makes a really, really good Aligote. Um, another one is uh, Loire makes an outstanding Aligote that's, that's actually pretty affordable. And it's Domaine too, which is really cool. So you're not even getting the Maison. You're getting her stuff. Um, and I think it was sixty wholesale. I got it for yeah, yeah, which is I mean, it was lights out. It was really good. You had to you had to like triple decant the thing though because it was really reductive. But... I
0: mean, you could literally throw a party once a weekend on Burgundy and break down a different town, different region every weekend, and you have a whole year of parties planned.
1: And and you'd you'd still you like cover about idea. a quarter yeah. of it honestly. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, it
0: really is amazing. It also showcases what you guys go through as studying and trying to get to this level that you have to break these down. You have to try all these Mm -hmm. wines. You can't just read about them. No. You you, you have to, every Monday, you have to sit down and be like, all right, the theme is going to be this and we're going to break down this region or this town or this river or this hill.
1: Yeah. So, and it's, I mean, and then it's cool when you do, you start to get an idea, right? So, you know, so so you start going. I'm not going to go through all the villages because that's really just being an asshole again. <laughs> um, but like Jevry Chambertin, right? It's typically known for being a little more broad-shouldered. They're 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 a little bigger, a little more structured wines. Where Chambolle Musigny is going to be kind of the opposite. They're more elegant. So um, if Jevry Chambertin, you're kicking the door off the hinges. You know, Chambolle Musigny, you're, you're being seductive, right? You're you're finding a way you're into the house. Unscrewing the hinge. Yeah, <laughs> right. And, and like this great, you know black patent leather outfit, whatever the hell, right? So, and, and you're going in and you're kind of doing what you have to do, right? But, but in the Cote de Bone, the same thing kind of exists between Pomar and Volnay, right? Volnay being the softer, the more elegant, Pomar being the more broad-shouldered. Then of course, uh, Von Romanet being very, uh, very elegant and legendary and usually being the most complex, um, kind of all of them. But I mean, as you start to drink them, you'll start to be able to differentiate what's what, what's going on, which is, which is really cool, but when you look at it from the outside, you're like, oh, my God, I don't know where to begin with all this.
2: Yeah. So. I guess most, for the average consumer, it would be price.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the other thing, too. Like, like What are you getting into? And price has gotten ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah,
2: we've seen that
0: across you the you got to pay people for... like me. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's true. It's not just for your good looks, all this money. No, yeah. I mean, that's what, <laughs> com- that's what it comes down to. I mean, I, I've negotiated juice directly from the vineyard sites. And had to work on my own labels, importing every little bit of it. And I see that I will negotiate something where I'm paying 1.1 euros per liter. And by the time it comes to the United States, it goes on the shelf. It is over $10 a bottle here on the shelf because Mm -hmm. it's got to go through taxes, shipping. All the hands. All all the hands. You got to pay me. You got to pay my business partners. You got to pay that salesman. You got to pay this guy to push that piece of paper across that desk. Like that's it's. Cost money by no, that's yeah,
1: it. it's tough. I feel bad. I feel like anyone listening right now is uh, is I probably ruined Burgundy for. I'm sorry, everyone <laughs> that I that I
3: did. No, know, but because, the nice
2: thing is you can go to a store and you can still get Burgundy for like you know what, fifteen bucks for like a no, good totally premier start. Like here's here's your starting line, you know, right here, and go from there. And if you immediately try and go, oh, I kind of like that. All right, cool. Buy the next twenty dollar bottle. Oh, I really like that. All right, well, now step it up and go 25 bucks. Sure. And then if you really like it now, you can probably kind of be like, all right, well, I'm going to try that village next
0: and that one. And then you hit the lottery one day and go get Von Romney. <laughs> I <Yeah>. mean, <laughs> in, in basics, I always say Burgundy is the most simple to learn. And it's, sorry, it's the most simple to get started and impossible to learn. Yeah, because I agree with that. Because it's Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty basic when it comes down to it. Red Burgundy, white Burgundy. However, there's so much beyond just that. You know, if I tell you, if I had you a glass of red wine and say, here, drink this Burgundy, oh. you know I'm, I'm pretty much handing you. You've mm-hmm. got a pretty good idea what I'm handing you. But if I say, hey, Jace, drink this oh. Napa. You ain't got a clue. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's a really good point. Dr- drink this Sonoma.
3: Yeah.
0: You'd be <laughs> like, good Well, luck. Good, what, what is it? I don't know. But if I say drink this Burgundy, instantly you look at the color, you got a good idea. So sure. it's so simple but so complex, and that's what keeps us diving into this and keeps totally. It, there's always something new to learn every day, and whatever we learn this year, I know nothing next year. Yeah. I like that. So is-
2: I I think with all that, I think one thing too that people like to hear is how you because clearly Burgundy is like one of those you got to try every single one to get down to it. I guess people wanna, might wanna hear like, how do you break down the wine? So like when you sit there and you pour out, you know, in this case a burgundy or in this case the red wine, like what what are the the smells, the looks, the colors, what is it going to take you to get to? Yeah, that's a, you know, white burgundy or whatever or any other wine. Okay.
1: All right, so so you're saying about Okay, so breaking down So like what what
2: it is for you to yeah, to take a test okay. on the Okay. So okay, so so, so Let's you go. Know,
1: yeah, go with the red. If I, if I'm blind tasting, yeah. So I mean, first thing, you know, uh, you're looking at visual, right? Uh, there's a couple clues you're going to get about identity and everything else. Um, i don't have a, a really good white background but if i'm looking at it right now one of the things i can notice if i stick uh, my fingers underneath ah oh, cool thing yeah, i, was, I, was, I, was I like, keep white, a white piece paper of paper summer. in the uh, just in case you're a good man i like right? that i've done this so, once or twice so one of the first things i notice when i look at it hold on i'm gonna get away from the mic here to get a good look yeah and he's doing the red wine right now yeah so so what i do is i put my fingers underneath it and i look at it and if i can see the lines of my fingers through it um, I know it's uh, it's diminished um, concentration. Yeah, so get, get, um, get a picture. So, because
2: we what we'll do is we'll take a picture of how you're doing it and we'll put it up and show sure, people a little okay. bit what you're doing. So, so
1: yeah. So right now I'm kind of looking through it. Right, I'm uh, you know I'm staring through the wine, uh, seeing if I can see my hands and color and everything, and I can. So I can I, you know I can see my fingers through the glass. I can see the lines of my fingers through the glass. Um, so this is telling me that this is a lower concentration of color. Um, another thing right out of the gate that's really sticking out to me, um, some rim variation. So think about like a bullseye, right? If, if you shoot archery, you do something else, you have the center bullseye, then you have a, a larger ring outside of that. And then you go outside, you have a larger one. As wine gets older, you'll get the rim variation that'll literally separate out and look kind of like that, right? So already I can see it's a little darker in the core. And it's starting to lighten up as it goes out. So I think already I'm thinking there, there's a little bit of age to this wine. On top of the fact that the wine has a, a significantly orange rim, um, almost a the point where it's a little matterized, kind of in color. It almost has a little brownish hue to it, and it's orange. And uh, what really that indicates is is uh, oxidation. So uh, either so the wine's probably been um, you know in the bottle for a little bit. Microoxidation through the cork or whatever else is allowing that color to change. Um, So, you know, uh, uh, as red wines get older, they they tend to lose color where white wines will actually gain color. Um, And that's a lot of times the the sediment you'll have in a wine as it's holding. It'll be a couple things. It'll be, it can be precipitated tannin, um, you know, or like polymerized tannin that's literally uh, gotten longer chain molecules. And it'll literally become a solid and drop out of solution and uh, pigmentation color. So those are the two things that'll come out uh, as, as a sediment in the wine. So that's another thing I'll look at if they're sediment or not, you know, to kind of help determine with age. Um, Getting a little nerdy here. It's usually catechin, which is oak tannin that comes out as a a solid, but don't worry about that. Um, So already I'm kind of looking at it. uh, I'm getting an idea already that this is a thin skin grape. Uh, There's some age to it, uh, definitely a little rim variation, everything else. If I look at the extract, the coloring and everything it's leaving behind, there's not a lot of color it's leaving. So the winemaker probably isn't pressing it too hard. There's not a lot of extraction happening with the grape itself. Uh, so that's given me some clues to the wine already. Um, now, this is the one, uh, this one I, I do kind of poo-poo people a little bit about is legs, right? You hear, oh, those are great legs. These are good legs, whatever else legs, right? So what I'll do is I'll kind of roll the wine and then I'll, I'll blow into the top of it. And then you'll start seeing the horizon start to fall. And then I look at it. This is moderate plus viscosity. So everyone says great legs. What the hell does great legs mean, right? Everyone yeah, all loves the time. It. Yeah, right? Oh, this wine has great legs. What does that mean? All that is is a function of surface tension and sugar, whether residual or fermented that's happening in the wine. The only thing legs are really going to tell you is if there's, yeah, if the wine's sweet potentially or if there's a, a higher amount of alcohol. Can that's th- just going to help me. Go ahead.
0: Can that be changed based on... Uh, altitude or temperature of where you're at too? I, I, I'm sure it could.
1: Um, I, I I haven't done trials with it. Not to enough really see. to really affect it if you were
0: taking uh, yeah,
1: a test? Yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking no, not not really enough for something like that. I mean, temperature of the wine, obviously you, you want it, you know, I mean, if it's a red wine, you want it between 55 and 65 degrees. That's kind of the ideal range for it. Because um, I always just say
0: legs are just like they are in real life, just something nice to look at and it's yeah. something that, like talk about, but that's about it. Like, yeah. not... For
1: the most part, they're not. I mean, in blind tasting, the only reason you do it is, is to get an idea of viscosity so to know is the wine higher alcohol or not. It's just like, like a beginning puzzle piece to to put out there but you haven't placed it anywhere you haven't made a sweeping decision about the wine at all.
0: It is something It's just a piece of evidence. It is one of those things that novices bring up like it's a quality, what do you it's think a quality like, thing, like sure. oh, this wine's got nice legs. Yeah, I mean, I'm, okay,
1: <laughs> so it's higher in alcohol. That doesn't always necessarily <laughs> <laughs> mean it's better, right? So the next thing you're going to do is you're, you're going to take like an initial smell, right? So So I'm getting a smell. So the first thing I'd say, uh, the wine's uh, clean. There is a little bit of volatile acidity, but the wine, for the most part, is clean. The wine smells developing to Venice. Uh, I do believe this has some age to it. Um, And then you talk about the intensity of aromas, right? This, to me, has a moderate intensity of aroma. Um, You know, there's there's stuff coming out. It's not jumping out and punching me in the face. Think of, like, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, right? That's like a big fist of jalapeno that jumps out of that (laughs) glass and socks you, right? Like, immediately, you know what it is. Like, the table next to you can smell your wine. That's high-intensity of aroma. So this one, I'd say, is moderate. So the next thing you're going through, you're going to talk about fruit. Uh, so, fruit so fruit, non-fruit, earthwood. Uh, you're going to go through it. So for this wine, to me, uh, a lot of red fruit I'm really getting. There's a little bit of charred orange. There's a little citrus you normally don't get out of red wine. Citrus is usually a white wine one. It's usually a cheater. You can usually find one citrus in every white wine. But in this case, there is a little charred orange peel. Damn you on this. the charred orange. <laughs> Did you just get
0: that? <laughs> as soon as you say it, I'm like, fuck,
1: he's right. Yeah, right? So... So to me um, I'm gonna go home and cook an orange or my and just <laughs> Right? see what happens. So uh so so right away I'm getting that. So so a lot of red fruit, you know. So there's a little cherry, you know, a little raspberry. Um I'm getting like a dried almond. It's kinda like crazen's, uh fig and date is out of here. But this wine really doesn't live in the fruit realm. There is some fruit, and what I think's more important than fruit itself, because Damien's cherry is different from John's strawberry, which is different from my raspberry. Who gives a shit? It's red fruit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. And and this is where where wine writers like they will beat themselves up. It is not fig. It's fucking whatever,
2: dude. Right? I've never had black Kern or cassis, but it. I'd imagine if I did, it probably just smell or taste like
1: blueberry to me. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. 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 yeah he's yes. like. He's like. I want not tell you. You're, yeah. you're kind, Same family. Not the same. Yeah. Thing. yeah. Actually, I, I think if I'm not mistaken. I think black Kern is cassis. Anyways. Yeah. Okay. So. Um. <laughs> so right. So so you're going through fruit. So this doesn't really live in the fruit, but I think condition of fruit is super important. And to me. Um, this is a little underripe and then dried. There's kind of a dried element to the wine, also. Uh, that could tell me many things about the wine, either possibly raisination, uh, could be a foggy area. There's a lot of different things that could be happening with that, right? So, next I'll talk about non fruit. So, usually you break that down there's floral, there's spice. You have any animalistic characteristics, anything viticultural that's happening, anything vinification that's happening, any bean or nut, any others, anything like that. You're looking for all that stuff. If it's woodsy. Yeah, if, if it's, it's right Woodsy, <laughs> this, is, this is where Woodsy lives, it's right here, right? So <laughs> now, Great coffee now, beans. I haven't, I haven't tasted the wine at all, but just smelling it, one of the things I'll say, there's like a little bit of a balsamic vinegar. There's tomato vine, tomato leaf. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of spice I'm getting to the wine as well. Uh, there's definitely some herbs. Uh, I'm getting florals for sure. There's roses, a little bit of rose water, uh, but they're kind of smashed and dried up. There's a little you know lavender in here as well. Um, (coughs) talking about oak, me personally, I do not get any, any new oak flavors. I don't get any vanilla, cinnamon, nutmeg, smoked toast out of here, but I do get a little bit of tobacco. So I do believe there to be some oxidation. So I'm thinking neutral vessel, uh, just off of that. And then earth. And I think there's a good amount of earth in here. There's a truffles, button mushroom, clay, uh, a little bit of sand and gravel. Uh, And then this point, after I've gone through all that, then I'm going to start talking about, uh, the palate. So the palate, you're going to talk about structure.
0: Uh,
3: real, real quick, I'm going to jump I in was on just, you. I was just going to do exactly what, what you were going to say. I was going to say,
0: what's more important when you're doing these blind tastings, do you think? The, the, the nosing of it or the actual tasting of That's it? That's funny. It's almost exactly what I was going to say.
1: Great. So if, if I could only do one thing, if I could assess one thing about a wine, honestly, structure would be it. You can, you can get further with structure uh blinding a wine, describing a wine, talking about wines than you can with any other information about the wine at all. But structure you're getting more from tasting it? Yeah, the structure only from tasting. Yeah. It. Yeah. You uh, I mean well. you're never you're not you're not gonna so it's funny people talk about, oh it smells acidic. It's like, well you can't really smell acid. You so know? is
2: it kind of the nose is removing everything and kind of concentrating your thought on and then and then when you taste it that's going to be what kind of hones it in sure that's
1: what it is so so like yeah so so right now my thought process if i'm going through this wine is is i have i I, now the most important thing is not to make a sweeping statement about the wine because then you're going to lead yourself astray and think it's something and and whatever it is right so a good way to think about it is um a crime's happened right the first thing that goes in your nose right is going to be the detective They don't give a shit what happened. They don't care what's going on. They're scraping for hair samples. They're getting DNA. They're putting things in baggies. They're laughing and joking. with They're doing whatever else. The point is they're collecting evidence. That's all they're doing. They are not- data collection. Yes. They they don't care anything about what happened. They are completely numb and they're separated from it because that's the best way for them to do their job, right? Then when that's done, uh, so that would be like your nose and palate, getting structure, getting fruit, non-fruit, earthwood, all that other stuff, that's your detective, then when you get to initial inclusion, now you're the district attorney, right? Okay, well, I have this evidence. I have these witnesses. I have this timeline. This is a possibility. I need to bring in Mr. Seurat for questioning, right? I have this, 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 and that. I need Mr. Nebbiolo to come in for questioning. This, 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 that, and here. Well, I need Mrs. Pinot Noir to come in, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So now... This is awesome. This is a great I, way of describing uh, this. Oh, yeah, no, you, that's... Right? It's, yeah. I'm totally intrigued. i not have a TV show out of it. <laughs> right? So so now that you've gotten all that information together, you have what could potentially be anything, but you're still not personally invested in what it is. You should not be making up your mind about what it is. If you do it early, you're going to be skewed, and then this person hasn't had a fair trial, right? This wine hasn't had a fair trial. Then once you have all the DA evidence, everything else has happened, once you get to the final conclusion, you can be the most redneck, hillbilly, backwoods, uh, he did it, he's guilty, whatever the heck you want to be jury person at that point, and you can make any call you want, Right? You can say anything, it doesn't matter because you've gone through, you've done the work, you've gotten the information, you have the right now to make a call as to whatever the hell you think it is. And you're gonna be wrong a lot. It's gonna happen. You're gonna be wrong a lot, a lot in the beginning. That's just the way it is. But the reason people get good and they get right is because they've been wrong more times than someone's even attempted to do yeah. it. And that's, that's where I go about falling on your nose. Take a shot. If you're wrong, you're, either you get the wine right or you learn something. So either way you win.
0: Yeah, so. Hall of Fame baseball players uh, are out seven out of ten times or at bat. Right? I was like, it's the only and place you get hundred million dollar contracts
2: for being less than a third good. Yeah, <laughs> right. So
1: okay, so so I was getting ready to go with structure. God, this is long winded. Sorry. Uh, no, it's good. So. I
2: think honestly, I think this is nice because I'm understanding all of this right now, and so the average person is probably like, okay, I get where he's going oh, with cool. it. Cool. Right. Right. We Hope, haven't
0: really yeah. broken down. A tasting this way either I oh mean, perfect well, yeah. i'm happy I could this have is done. perfect salesman yeah. winemaker uh-huh. like definitely neither of us are psalms yeah so
1: stupid you know pretentious <laughs> asshole over here yeah. <laughs> okay
0: so all right so so next i'm going to go with
1: structure so the first thing i do is i'm going to get a little bit of the wine this is where i think expectorating the wine is important you will never get structure as good swallowing the wine as you are with the exception of alcohol you're never going to get it as good as you are spitting the wine out really right yeah i think so because because you're getting it twice you're in and then you're out with it right oh huh. okay so we're, we're going to get a little bit of the wine. And whenever you get wine, don't feel bad. Move it around. Slosh it around. Make noise. This is like, this is like Thai street food, right? You're, you know, or whatever it is. You're eating your fuck. Slurping it. Yeah. yeah, you're getting gnarly. Get in there, right? So get a little bit of wine.
0: I love you can hear all the sound effects. Yeah, right? good.
1: <laughs> all right? So... Um, Out of the gate, I'm kind of moving it around. Um, The wine's dry. Acid. So the way to think about acid, right, is that um, as as you get a lower... uh, So as the pH lowers in your mouth, you're going to raise the acidic environment, right? Eventually, it's going to get to the point where the acid in the wine is going to threaten to take the enamel off your teeth. So your body's natural defense is to salivate, right? So how intensely you salivate, how quickly that salivation comes on, whatever's happening, that's all going to be a measure of what's happening, Right? Um, so in this case with acid, let's do that again. I usually don't, uh, describe it there.
0: I make that a sound bite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just a switch, 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 That's switch, a new switch. introduction music. <laughs> 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 People be like, oh, what the fuck are we <laughs> listening to?
1: So acid. So right away I'm kind of salivating. Well, I'm still kind of salivating. So acid is a moderate plus to, to damn near high. Um, so tannin. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of acid on there. That's, that's really, I'd call that high acid. Um, so now, uh, with tannin, I believe you should really get it up in your gums and everywhere else. And then, uh, this is gonna sound weird. Kind of the pot lip test. If your if your lip sticks, if you got like a fire marshal bill thing going on, you know, there's a lot of tannin, right? So tannin is going to be the opposite. It's polyphenols that react with proteins. So as the wine enters your mouth, um, as it reacts with the protein, in your saliva, it's literally gonna rob you of moisture. It's gonna feel like you kind of rubbed a cotton swab everywhere and everything's really dried out, right? So we're gonna look at that.
3: He's got
0: some rhythm.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> and then some... we're gonna we're gonna rub it on there, right? It's a little drying, it's not as drying as as I want, but there there is some tannin to it. Um, yeah, it's not as aggressive as I really wanted it to be. But there is some tannin there. It is. Okay, now it's starting to show up. So now it's starting to dry me out a little bit. Because even right? I'm like, I'm drinking this like, wow, this is really tannin yeah, to me it is. as an average person. No, it is. It, it's, it's, it, it kind of sneaks up on you. There's so. some late tannins. Uh-huh. Like, so definitely, uh, it's definitely there, but it so is. So
2: this is one thing I wanted to ask because sure. I've had, I think, different styles of tannin. This one... When I drink this, mm-hmm. as an average person, all that moisture-sucking tannin feel is mm-hmm. in my gums versus mm-hmm. I've had it where it's been in the back of my mouth a little and sort of on my tongue versus sure. this is in the gums. Is uh-huh. there rhyme and reason for that, or is that just, just so, because of how we're drinking this right now with uh, the pushing sure. around and all that?
1: Well, uh, so the wise Tim Gazer always said Italian wines live in the front of the mouth. Um, there's a lot of people that argue um, that grape tannin uh, will hit you initially in the front of the palate and then catechin or oak tannin will hit you more in the back.
2: Oh, so, okay, that would make some sense to me because I've had a lot of like real built Napa cabs and the tannin comes in the back in the of back. my mouth. That's oak tannin. Oh, Good. okay. So that's oh, dude, that just you. opened just, up a whole new world. Yeah. You, yeah. you see
0: the light bulb go off yeah. above his head. Did NBC star like just shot out of my, the more
2: you know, out of my head right now. <laughs>
1: he just like lit up. Awesome. Right? So yeah. So, so that, that's typically grape tannin where I believe this is more grape tannin than I do think it is. Oh, yeah. Tannin, Cause I'm not right? getting it like in the back. No, up. but it hits you up here and it's like, it's sticking. It, it's definitely there. Right. So yeah, I, I feel like she's a shoth over here from <laughs> <laughs> my are- <laughs> so, uh, so I'd say this is a high acid. I'd probably call it high tannin as well. Alcohol. So with alcohol, you're going to, now this is going to sound weird. You're going to take the wine, you're going to kind of, you to try to like pinch it with your esophagus, right? So you're going to swallow hard. Ha ha ha. You're going to swallow the wine hard, right? <laughs> okay. You're going to kind of pinch it with your esophagus. And then afterwards, you're going to do the Darth Vader test. <sighs> you're going to breathe in hard, and you're going to feel how much you feel it. I'm, I'm feeling this. This is going about midway to the chest. I'd argue this is probably 135 to 14% alcohol. So I'd call it moderate plus alcohol. Okay. Now, uh, So this, you're not
2: feeling it in the back of your throat like you would like a real high
1: alcohol Yeah, thing. You're feeling like it like in your chest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, usually, yeah. If I feel it, so how, how far down it goes, the chest- to me, is how alcoholic the wine is. Oh, okay. Right? So if it's like, if it's Riesling, I I, I don't feel it really get past anywhere. Right? If it's usually moderate alcohol, I'm like somewhere up in here by, by like the clavicle, you know? Um, as I get to moderate plus, I start getting a little further... And then when it's high alcohol, I'm down in the solar plexus, right? Like I can, I can the soul. It's like it's getting in there, right?
2: Is that why, like, if you take like a shot of whiskey or tequila, you feel it literally in the back
1: of like your throat, like yeah, well, well, usually there because esophagus is because I think that like all those esters and everything, volume, everything it's at just once. pushing yeah. it all up. Yeah, uh, it, it's okay. like it's so forceful. I think you're just feeling it kind of everywhere, but you notice you'll feel the burn kind yeah. of down, right? But think of like Amaro, how Amaro works. I mean, the whole point of Amaro is to heat up the esophagus. So you're feeling, that's why it's a little higher in alcohol, right? You want to warm that up. You want to help get everything digesting and everything moving. It doesn't make you go shit, per se. <laughs> I, I, always tell pe- I, I always tell my servers that, right? When you're selling Amaro... You tell them it aids in digestion, but for Christ's sake, don't make it sound like they're, they're going to have a, a to, yeah. to leaky butthole. From, from yeah, right. not a laxative. Nobody wants a leaky butthole. Right? So, and, and, and that's, it's funny because I've had some servers say that. People are like, oh, wait, it's going to make me shit. And I'm like, oh, my God. No, no, no. That's not what we're trying to convey here. Anyways. <laughs> it settles the stomach. Yeah. Right, so, so you're at alcohol. So, so I'm at alcohol. So another good advantage when there's alcohol, a good way. So we talked about the Darth Vader. Now, I usually two-part at that point. What I'll do... Uh, okay, so for example, let's take our white wine, right? Yeah. So this is what I want you to do. So take your white wine, right? Uh, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to assess for alcohol. And I want you to, to take a little bit. I want you to swallow it, pinch it hard, do the Darth Vader. But then hold, whenever you take that breath in, close your mouth. And I want you to, I want you to exhale out of your nose and tell me what you taste. Hopefully everyone at home is doing this too. Right. And what do, you, what do you smell when it comes out of the nose? To me, that's all the oak in the wine lives right there when it comes right back out the nose. To me, it's like nougat, caramel, Snickers bar. Like I get all the oak comes out when you exhale out of your nose when you're assessing I was alcohol. thinking
2: like, yeah, for me, like a creme brulee almost. like a <laughs> yeah. cr- Like a bananas foster.
0: Perfect,
1: which is oak. That's what oak yeah. tastes like, right? Excellent. So, so at this point that I'm doing that with, uh, with this wine, this red wine, I'd need to have him
0: on, like, just to teach us how to blind taste more. Wow, we'll just do classes and while we're doing a podcast. Great. This is oh, awesome. Whatever you want, I'm happy I get help. Whatever. I love learning new things. I mean, it's
1: so so with with the wine, the red wine. I'm not really getting any evidence of new oak. I'm not getting that vanilla, that cinnamon, that I'm like that smoked toast. I'm getting a little oxidation. I would would uh, reasonably believe this is um, a neutral vessel, uh, neutral oak, uh, probably a larger vessel, right? <coughs> So now that I'm through structure, you're going to talk about um, um, uh, body, right? So body's just the weight of the wine, right? How heavy is it? Is this skim milk? Is this whole milk? Is this heavy whipping cream? That's all body is. It's just a function of, of the weight of the wine. Then within that, you're going to have texture. So is this wine. So on top of the body. So for this one, I'd say this is, uh, this is moderate bodied, and I'd say the texture's round. So you have lean. So, like, think of like Sauvignon Blanc, really electric, really, really lean and zippy, like right? very light on its feet. That's your lean. Round is, I mean, just kind of round, right? It's rounding things off. It's not overly plush, but it's not super lean either, right? It's somewhere. It's like dad bod. It's like right in the middle. <laughs> right? okay? so, then, uh, then, uh, then, whenever you go to that's, a, that's going as a hashtag. Awesome. Then, then, whenever you go to creamy, that's that's when that's like full figured, you know, fat girl in high heels. Sorry. Um, that's kind of where you're going there, right? Like it's, it's very plush, it's unctuous, right? On top of the full body, you also have this very dense kind of, kind of mouthfeel, a texture to it, right? So you're going to talk about those two. Um, then you'd also talk about balance, complexity, finish. Uh, so the way I think about balance is, is think about, think about like a fist, right? What's the sore thumb? What's sticking out, right? Well, it's a little acidic, and this really isn't working out, and, you know, bah, you know, it's it's no longer this smooth, frictionless surface, right? So balance is how well everything kind of plays together. Does it all work together? And when it's really well balanced, it's almost poetic. You know, you have a really well balanced wine. You kind of close your eyes. You just kind of focus on the moment. And you're like, what the fuck just happened? That was awesome, right? Anyways, so that's balance. So then you have a uh, complexity finish. So complexity, I think about as uh, music. So how many different instruments in the band are playing, right? Is this one guy on the corner, is he banging on a Home Depot drum for money? Is this, you know, do you have a quartet of people singing around in, you know, a burning out barrel? Is this, you know, a rock band in a garage or is this Tokyo Philharmonic where yeah. everyone's going nuts and there's a bunch of shit going on, right? <laughs> so that's... Right, now your, I'm going to go listen to a Tokyo Philharmonic <laughs> and just see the nonsense that it right. might be. <laughs> so, so that's going to be your, uh, you know, uh, that, that's your uh, complexity. And then finish. Everyone always thinks that, oh, the finish is longer than it is. So once that, that band, whatever size it is, has, has hit their crescendo, has hit their high note, right? How long does that stay together, right? How long is that in unison for? And however long everything is reacting together after the wine, whether you've expectorated the wine or swallowed the wine, after it's off your palate, everything is in unison together with all elements firing, that's your finish, right? So, uh... Well done. Uh, sorry, so, I
2: knocked the headphones off. I'm trying to scratch my ear. Nah, <laughs> hey,
1: that, hey, got a good scratch in there. So uh, so, so all those elements working together, that's going to be your finish, right? So we'd finish with that. So with this one, I'd say the wine's very well balanced. Uh, complexity is high. Finish is long. There's a lot of really good things going on in here, right? So then uh, at this point, uh, you know, if I'm in an exam setting, I'm going to be looking at revisiting everything, the fruit, non-fruit, earth
0: wood, make sure everything's good. Um, it's funny. Most people that think that we blind taste and we can just taste something and we could just be like, oh, that's Cabernet. That's Merlot. And they don't realize the analytical side of it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say that I'm, I have a math background, not an English background. And that's why I'm really good at wine tasting is because I'm good at the analytics. Totally. And people think it's more artistic driven, but it's not. It's almost more math driven because it's more, I'm going to break down all the things that it's not. And then I'm going to take all the categories that it probably is. And then I'm going to use deductive science Things to say, okay, it could be this, could be this, could be this. The, the evidence leads me to this or this. This is probably the guilty party.
2: It's probably like imagine for like an average person, like a car thing. Versus the guy who's just like, oh, I love to drive this car. But then the other guy goes, well, we've got like this body, this structure, this wind resistant. And then the guy who knows it even better is like, well, the engine has a compression ratio of this. You put this thing in, and they built the entire structure of it. They could sit there and be like, oh, I can hear the car and know it's this thing. I know it drives like this. I know it handles like this. Therefore, it must be a Lamborghini or a Ferrari kind of a thing. Perfect.
1: No, that's that's certainly what it, whenever you're blind tasting. Well, honestly, it's like a game of guess who. Right, yeah.
2: Do you hey, what what have a great way to, to end a game too? After drinking a bunch of great, excellent stuff. Well, right?
0: I, I've cheated with tastings where people have had stuff brown bagged, and you see the one with the screw top. You see the one in the. Yeah. Bur- you see the burgundy bottle. You see the. You can. There's there's things you can see that will give it away. I did that with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no,
1: you're fine, and that's typically why why I, I don't like to know anything about any blind tasting. We have a the, rule the, uh, the in the group: don't say anything, even like.
0: Oh, you're going to get it. It's going to be a good tasting. That gets in your head. You yeah. The, so the court has everything in decanters on the table or is it just glasses? In no, front just you? glasses. You don't okay. see okay. You don't see the, nothing. Yeah. So just,
1: okay. You walk in, you have three people staring you down from the other side of the table. Mr. Caballero, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I just shit my pants, but I'm doing great otherwise, you know? <laughs> then you have to sit in... in well, this, that's going to ruin Brunello for you. Yeah. you like
0: horse fart. Everything right? smells like Brunello now. You're like, well, I'm chewing some spearmint gum, so I'm nice and uh, calm. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm just sitting that's
2: a holiday inn. <laughs> I'm ready.
1: <laughs> so, so
0: anyway, so, so
1: uh, yeah, so it happens that way. So, so with this one, if I was going through, I'd confirm a lot of the same fruits. Um, I mean, yeah, four minutes, 10 seconds to do this. So you're kind of hucking through it. Um, you know, the red fruit still seems very prevalent. There is herbaceousness to it. Um, the, it does have kind of a venous smell to it. Uh, the VA is still pretty, pretty prevalent. Um, so you go through everything. I don't think there's any new oak. Uh, the same earth, truffles, uh, button mushroom, a little bit of clay kind of coming through. So uh, now you go to initial inclusion. Now we're in the district attorney. So initial inclusion, um, uh, possible grapes are, I'd probably put Nebbiolo, Sangiovese in here from Italy, uh, age range. I'd say this is 10 to 20 years. It's got some age to it. Um, uh, climate for this for me would be, uh, like kind of like a moderate temperate climate. Um, you know, cause I, it doesn't really show me that it's really cool climate. It's super snappy. It's light. It, it's not very fat by, I don't know. It just doesn't smell like warm climate. There's not super ripe fruits. There's not a lot of other things going on. So I'd make that call. Um, and that, you know, that'd kind of be the initial inclusion, right? So let me see if I got through everything. Possible grapes, Nebbiolo, Sangiovese, Italy, age range 10 to 20. Um, oh, countries of origin. I think I, I talked about Italy already. Okay. So at this point, district attorney, you've put everything together. I have Mr. uh, Mr. Sangiovese, Mr. Nebbiolo. I could be way wrong. You know what? I'll probably put Pinot Noir in there from France just to round it out. I don't think it's that though. So I have three suspects, right? So at this point, uh, if I'm thinking the thing, I'm thinking, how do I discredit? What do I do? You never go off one thing to call a wine because that's how you get in trouble. So you always need a few different reasons. So what I'm getting out of this wine is elevated tannin, elevated acid, um, red fruits. I can see through the wine, significant orange rim, lots of oxidation. Uh, I talked about the ability. The, uh, there's no oak. There's kind of a floral tone. The wine's very pretty and delicious. Now, I'm going to circle back around. Remember we talked about Laura Manick earlier and the really good piece of advice she gave me This applies here. Um, she said, if you're ever down to the point where you're struggling between Nebbiolo and Sangiovese, and you know it's one of those two, the best way to kind of fix yourself or know where you're going to go with this is to ask yourself, is this wine more like Burgundy or is it more like Bordeaux? Um, and this is a whole other theory I have. We can get into it if you guys would like about, about Grenache. Um, Nebbiolo and Pinot Noir and, and their ability to, to transpose where they're from. We'll get to that later. Uh, to me, this wine, uh, it, I mean, it strikes me as Italy. I could be way wrong, but it's more like Burgundy, in my opinion. So if I was going final occlusion, I'd say final occlusion. this wine is Nebbiolo. Uh, this is Nebbiolo from Italy. This is Nebbiolo from Piedmont. This is Nebbiolo. Um, it doesn't feel as tannic. I, I hate getting into to things like that because of age or anything else. I mean, I might go Barbaresco, um, but I feel like I, that's kind of that's kind of a meaningless distinction between the two. I mean, once you're kind of there, you're already... I'll just say Barbaresco anyways. Uh, this is Barbaresco. I believe it to be a reserve of quality. It's pretty good. Um, I'd give it a vintage of, I don't know, 2000 and... Let's go 2001. We'll go 2000, straight 2000, um, A reserve of quality. And I'd leave it at that. So
2: my question to you would be, do they want you to nail the area or just close enough to the area? Like, um, would, if you were drinking Burgundy, because we've been doing Burgundy all day, would they be? Would you say, uh, I believe this is uh, Cote de Bon versus Cote de Nuit, and they're good with that? Or do they want you to nail the site, everything? Well, yeah. Or? I mean,
1: you're, you're probably going to call it down. I mean, not going to go as far as producer. But like, for example, if it was Burgundy, you'd say, okay, final conclusion, this is Pinot Noir. This is Pinot Noir from France, Pinot Noir from... Burgundy from the Côte d'Or, from the Côte de Nuit. This is Gevrey Chambretin, I believe, is to be Grand Cru. So Grand Cru, Gevrey Chambertin, whatever vintage you think it is. You'd, you'd break it down that way. Kind of like if you were calling Cabernet, right? This is Cabernet from USA, California, North Coast, Napa County, or yeah, Napa County, Napa Valley. Um, I believe it drinks a little bigger. There's a little more to it. So I'm going to say that this is Mountain Fruit. This is Mount Viter. I'm going to give it a vintage of 2010. So you
2: would get all your points because you got California, right? You got. Mm-hmm. Or you got USA right, you got California right, you got Napa right, but you said Atlas Peak when and said it was like Rutherford. Just yeah, say you wouldn't really lose anything. You're it's, still
0: crushing
1: the shit out of the wine just because you didn't call the right AVA, okay. you're fine.
0: Well, here so. in this case, well, so... Plus, also, what like he was saying, for the, for the SOM test, they're going to test you on more known areas... Yeah, to, they're going to be classic wines, it, sure. If they're testing you on Pinot Noir, they're going to test you on Pinot Noir from Burgundy or from California, from parts of it, or maybe from Central Otago. You're not going to all of a sudden randomly... In Oregon, get, Oregon you'll have. You're three. not going to be throwing a Swiss Pinot. No, <laughs> you're not going to no. get an Uncle Valley Which I've Pinot. had, yeah, no, you no, know, no. and same thing when it comes to God, certain wines wines really good, by the way. Certain yeah. Italian wines, there's... there's Great varietals that we know of from certain regions, but there's also very well known DOCGs of that varietal that you're not going to get tested on, even though they're famous. You yeah. Know? yeah. No, 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 totally. So. And I bring this up because I know what it is because I felt you know, the bottle. Yeah, well, I felt it. You felt the bottle. Yeah. And I knew, the, I it as soon as I with the port, I was like, motherfucker.
2: <laughs> so you were right. I, it's it is Nebbiolo, but it's 2006 Reserva Gattinara.
3: Oh, cool. Okay, so, yeah.
0: I'm good with it. Yeah, you nailed. But I mean, as, if, as if, far as everything went, yeah, you got you got that it was a reserve that it was Nebbiolo. This is really Italy. good, by the way. No it's wonder bad. it wasn't as I felt like the tannin wasn't as good Anyways, that's yeah colder. me being an asshole again. But no, but actually, <laughs> it, it was really fun to listen to you break it down because you nailed so many flavor components that are part of Nebbiolo, aged Nebbiolo, whether it was the the roses the there was things you kept saying in there like, like that burnt orange yeah you're yeah. like you're like oh my god he nailed it again he nailed it again and <laughs> i knew what it was not as soon as i tasted it but as soon as i grabbed the bottle because mm-hmm. i felt the square bottles like motherfucker brought it's the weirdest fucking looking thing it is dude
1: this is really good thanks for uh thanks for busting and, this out I and well the it. fact
2: that
0: you when i first asked you just to
2: smell it that you even smelling it there were so many things that went off in your head that you're mm-hmm. like okay i think this is nebbiolo the second you said i was like okay cool like, John's like, damn. <laughs> I'm <was> trying to <laughs> triple No, up. <laughs> I, And I, I didn't want to bring like a weird Greek varietal that yeah, there's no fucking yeah. way kind of thing, but enough where, okay, it's not going to be so distinctive. It's a Barolo, but enough to be like, well, I think it's a Nebbiolo kind of a thing area. Mm-hmm. But Plus, not. But, Plus, but, when yeah. you
0: looked at it, you thought it was burgundy until you obviously you c- got the bottle. Calling Nebbiolo versus Gatsunara, because Gatsunara is a very obscure, say, there's only a handful of producers in Gatsunara. Yeah. And of all the people that grow, most of it's sold to Travellini. I mean, I think there's 11 producers that are exported in all of Gatsunara. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's there's it. not a lot. You, <laughs> uh, chances are they probably wouldn't give you Gattinara. No, and in say the they exam- would. I
1: mean, you could have anything. G- who's G- really say? Gemme
0: and Fara like Gemme mm-hmm. Italian Nebbiolo uh-huh. based, like Vespolina Nebbiolo blend. Yeah, you're you're right next to. Gaten yeah, Gaten it's yeah. the same region, but you're not gonna get tested on that. More than likely, no. You know, but but, but you were able to pick up all the major profiles you would get in a Gattinara. You got to feel really happy right now. Now, oh, that- thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't make a fool of myself. <laughs> no, you know,
1: it, it, you know, I was prepared for the speech of a. Uh, I said fall on your nose this is a good <laughs> moment for that's why I'm, you set that up yeah, in the beginning yeah the setup right so, I'm happy that didn't happen no but. it's so
0: interesting that you were able to break it down I think we could actually do episodes just on that because that's something that people are curious about they think sure. they think that we could just smell the wine and be like yep that's Chardonnay from Cote de Bonne but yeah, they don't realize no,
1: I mean if you're Fred Dame you can do stuff like that but
0: I guarantee his brain is still moving and turning and it is like, he doesn't just smell something going, okay, it's this. Yeah, he's he's, he's
1: a beast. He's a, uh, God, he's, wh- what a good person, Fred Dame. If you
0: ever get a chance to hang out with him, it is way worth it. Yeah, but, I mean, also, I'll play devil's advocate for a second, because Fred passed his ex- exam many years ago. 84. When w- there wasn't quite the diversity mm-hmm. and the knowledge and the, what there is, the way wine is today is very different than it was in 1984. I agree with that. We talk about varietally correct, but right now, people are trying to do so many different things, fun things, new things, mm-hmm. experimental things. Climate has changed. Nebbiolo, yes. Nebbiolo is very different in 2018 than it was in 1984. Mm-hmm. They're, they're able to hang it an extra couple of weeks later than ever before, which is allowing them to develop on vine more, which is allowing the wine to be more drinkable at a young age. Yeah. Versus 20 years ago, it's the first grape to bud. It's mm-hmm. also the first grape you have to pick because it's 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 very susceptible because you nailed the skins. Uh-huh. It's very susceptible to frost and weather uh, fluctuations. Mm-hmm. However, it's the last grape you're going to pick.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's, it's budding first, so you have to worry about frost. You're picking it last, so you're still worrying about frost and you're worrying about rains and everything else. Mm-hmm. With global warming... Now you get an extra two weeks of happiness of hanging this fruit, yeah. and now your your Nebbiolos are turning out better than ever before.
1: Right, but then yeah, that, then the question is when the pendulum goes over and it gets too warm. What, what's going to happen then? Yeah. Or California what, style what,
0: Nebbiolo. When, <laughs> right. when you're Fred Dame from 1984 that could nail Nebbiolo in 1984, can he nail? 2018 now because the wine has changed. Sure. So so you're getting into an interesting dichotomy. There, I know. There's, 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 uh, <laughs> These are rabbit holes of things. No, I don't know.
1: No. I love it. Hey, let it's you know we'll, we'll go down though. a little bit. So there's uh, there's MS's that pass, and they're very good about staying on top of things, and they respect the fact that they're an MS. Not I'm not saying there's MS's that don't. The, the, let's not take that out of context. But you know there's some MS's that pass, and you know what they 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 want a little bit of a break. They've they've been at this for a little while. You know, I'm studying four hours a day now. I, I study two hours when I wake up, two hours before I go to bed. Um, every day, you know, to make sure that I'm ready for this exam. It's a lot, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ready to be done with it, you know. But, I mean, I'm loving the journey. I'm respecting the process. I get to do cool things like this with you guys. Thank you very much for having me on. This is awesome. Dude,
2: this has been one of the most informative and one of my favorite ones so far because I've learned, I've learned so much coming out of this oh, one. <laughs>
1: well, great, man. I'm happy you like it. So. I gotta
2: lie, honestly, at this point, time I'm pretty convinced I'm going to join the psalm group at this point just because of everything <laughs> I'm learning in. here. I hear, I hear <laughs> there's a waiting list. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we'd love to have you. It'd be great. Uh, I think I know a guy. <laughs>
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see what we can do for you, right? So, um, but there's, you know, so by the time they get done, they're ready to take a break. They're ready. They're not ready to put their their nose in the books and everything else. And Fred's in the camp. And then there's the other side that, um, you know that that you're a master simile. Now you have to be that every time. You have to be that every day. You know, and and I'm, you know, I'm really hoping the the mentality I have, I'll be one of those. But those that when they pass, they're still learning. They're, they're still staying on top of it. They're like doctors that go and get continued education, and they're, they're continuing to hone their craft, and they're, they're making sure that when they're wearing that red badge, they're still reflecting the person that that is, and it's really awesome. And Fred's really good about that. He's super involved in the court. He mentors so many people. He's, he's just he's a really good person. He does a really good job of that. So, so to this day, I think he could because he stays up with those wines. Well. Um, I guess, plus kind of with what you're with, I mean, at this point in time, with how
2: things are growing, you know, all of a sudden somebody in Idaho could be growing an amazing vineyard site. And now you got a little know more about that. I mean, it's not like, oh, yeah, you know, knowledge the heart base is different. Yeah, the heart is the heart. There's only so much you could do now. You could really dive into it and learn more. But I think it's more of like if you were a surgeon, you're learning about the brain. Mm-hmm. There's the brain and everybody knows it. And now slowly but surely, you know, there's certain arteries or certain things patch. But now psychologically, you're getting more and more new things learned. Wine, in a way, is you have Bordeaux, you have Burgundy, Barolo, Brunello, and California. But all of a sudden, China might come online one day, and all of a sudden start making amazing wines. And then all of a sudden, India India is going to start getting into wines. And then all of a sudden, somebody might make an obscure one like
0: Tahiti that makes two or three great varietals sure. a year. I don't know if you heard about this. We brought Tahiti just did its fiftieth vintage in twenty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
1: they, they, what are they? A couple? They or?
0: could do two to three years. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's crazy. Yeah, I was reading about that. Them and uh, Valle de Vinedos in uh, in Brazil does two vintage or yeah, two it, harvests.
2: Mexico people are starting to find good Mexican wines, mm-hmm. and then Uruguay will come up and all of a sudden every start place has new things so there's more knowledge to always constantly learn. Mm-hmm. And I I'm a little guilty of things where I all of a sudden learn something oh I learned it I'm done. But that's yeah. not true. All of a sudden I recently discovered amazing oak from Portland, or excuse me, port Oregon. Oregon has some of what I'm thinking is some of my favorite oak.
1: They do. Yeah. And
2: I've just started using a barrel or two from Oregon because I'm really liking it. I didn't know it was that kind of thing. I just randomly got some actual chips to mess
1: around with some like just oh, testing man. things. I've got someone you got to talk to. It's uh, I think it's Nick Keeler is his name. Great guy. He makes a wines called Authentique out of uh, out of Oregon and uh, he's a cooper. Uh, it, you know he brings in barrels. That's kind of his day job. He has his winery. Um. But he'd be someone I'd be interested to ask about about getting... uh, Because I know Oregon's they're they're doing a lot more with Oak over there. So he'd be a good one. Yeah, I'll I'll reach out for you.
0: It's it's a really cool thing to just find new stuff. I think you're someone that appreciates this business so much that after you pass, you're going to take your little break to relax drink beer yeah but but then once again next year it's all new stuff to learn I think <coughs> you're one of those you're like me man it's it's never gonna end it never it's cause, never cause gonna it end i, it I, 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 I do love it. this business I, hate I, love, I love i love I love, I love wine i love the nuances i love the fact that i could try five wines from the same vineyard in five separate years and they're they taste completely different and then the person across me tastes different things than i'm tasting and we can have a great conversation over it and there's very few things out there like that sure um yeah totally so So really quick, you kind of inspired me about something,
1: a message, I guess, to people when they go in restaurants, when dealing with sommeliers and stuff like that. Um, I mean, we study a lot. We do a lot. So uh, I don't know if I should make this parallel, but I'm going to do it anyways, right? You're totally honest with your doctor. You're totally honest with your lawyer, right? You don't leave things out. You kind of do everything there. Uh, and i'm not saying i'm of that caliber i'm not but you should treat your sommelier that way be totally honest about things right the taste you like the flavors yeah. you like you know what's probably even more important and i always ask parameters what do you want to spend and don't feel bad you you want to spend eighty dollars i'm going to give you the best eighty dollar bottle that'll knock your socks off
2: right i, I do that at easy wines so the second somebody walks in they say oh, i'm looking for a wine my first thing is what do you want to spend and yeah. then we'll go from there
1: and that's and that's. It's so taboo and then it's always funny because I mean, well, I you know, I'm in a resort and and I'm, you know, a higher end restaurant and you know, I have to make cost and some of my stuff's pretty expensive, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, but people always do the joke like, Well, I don't want to spend two thousand. I'm like, so eighteen hundreds okay. Eight hundred's <laughs> okay. What do <are> you <laughs> you know, it's like just make it clear, you know? Just give me, you know, I usually tell them, give me a price. I will find you the best bottle. And if what I think is the best bottle for you, let's say you give me a two hundred dollar price point, but I think this hundred and ten dollar bottle is gonna knock your socks off. I'll bring you the $110 bottle for a couple different reasons. Probably one of the biggest ones, you'll probably get a second. Already, we've done better there. You will come back. You'll trust me. There's a lot of good come things Come back that. is the yeah. big one. Yeah. I now mean, they
2: know you liked them. You didn't try to upsell them. You went for their best experience, and now they're they're hooked. They're like, man, he gave us a great experience. He didn't try to you know break my bank, and it was great. I, I think Rounder said it best. best.
1: Oh, totally. Rounder said it best, and I think you have Super System on, on the... Uh, by the way, if you haven't seen Damien's uh, bookcase, it is awesome. <laughs> He's got all sorts of great things. If you're it's ever pretty bipolar, but yeah, uh, <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it's 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 a freak show, but it's a good one. Um, but uh, Amarillo Slim, right? And Rounders, what he said. You can shear a sheep many times, but you can skin them once, and that's that's the way you need to be. I mean, and I'm not even saying shear guests that come in, but you can bring them up in a little bit out of their comfort zone if the wine works. The same way if someone tells me two hundred. But I have a bottle for 220 that I know is what they want. I'll, I'll, I'll go to bat and I'll make a case for it, right? And it's not that I'm trying to upsell them. You know, there's a lot of people that feel that way. I'm like, this, from what you're describing, this is the perfect wine that you want. And I have it. And here, enjoy it, please. Um, but then it also goes the other way, too. But, uh, you know, I mean, what you don't want to do is, is you don't want someone to leave and feel like they got taken advantage of. You know, and especially the way people are now, they're cyber cowards now. No one tells you up front what's wrong. They're going to go and they're going to blow you up on Yelp later, right? They're going to send an email about that asshole Psalm that, that totally got me out of my price point. You know, so now you have zero chance for recovery to let them know something, to even let them know that that wasn't your intention. They have a bad feeling. And it really sucks when that happens because then I'm not only hurting my restaurant, I'm hurting sommeliers as a whole. It doesn't happen often. I'm, I'm really cognizant of that, you know. And, 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 you know, I don't have to have the greatest amount of sales in a single night. To do that, but something's working because since I've been on, you know, it's it's been a record year every year, and I think it's because you want to take care of people, not because you're going to to suck someone's blood, you know, on the one bottle they get. You're
0: building a reputation. You're building yes. something long standing, something that you know it's not you know the whole teach a man to fish. I mean, yes. y- you you want people to come back year in and year out that when they come to visit Phoenix like there's people that come here once a year
3: mm-hmm. you want
0: to make sure that every time they come here they're going to come see you and whenever their friends come here they're going to be like you have to go see my boy Jason yeah. you got to go see him he's going to take good care of you and you're building that that doesn't come overnight no no it really
1: doesn't you know and it's you know just you got to care about people you, you got to you know you got to love what you do you got I don't know there's there's so many things into it there's there's a lot of things sommeliers are really there's a lot of control you have over the experience someone has, the memory they have, the, a lot of different things. You could turn them, I mean, you could change someone's life with one dinner. That that's a lot. Yes. That's a lot of power to have, and that's awesome. You know, when someone says they had the best meal ever, that that is worth it for me. Everything. The putting bottles away, the presenting at you know, PL meetings and having the crunch numbers and all the unfun stuff in the background that's not fun to do, right? Yeah, you still gotta yeah, run yeah. a business. You gotta be profitable, right? But for that one person to tell me this is the greatest end experience I have ever had in my entire life, that makes it for me. such a good feeling. Oh, it, it's it's incredible to see right? somebody so
2: happy about. Honestly, if you break it down, it's so simple. But the experience they get was so memorable that it's always there. Like honestly, some of the times Damien and I and even our friends, I I have a lot of memories of us all drinking together, but there's very specific ones that stick out so hard because we just had such a good time. And it was, talk about balance in a wine, it's the balance of everything around it. The wine you had, with the friends you had, with the food you ate, and the conversation you have makes for one hell of a memory. Perfect. And you get that at restaurants, especially when your friends come in out of town. I was just with uh, my dad's best friends come into town, and they all go to Bear Jackson's. And then we all go out for a real nice dinner. And when we all sit around, it's, you know, we start early with like a couple like beers at the house. Then we go to an awesome dinner and have some wine. It's a fun conversation. I will, I remember every single time there because the balance of it was so good. That's awesome. That's, I like it. It always translates to an memorable time.
1: Right. I, I have fuzzies in my belly right now. So, yeah.
0: so, so Jason,
2: people, <laughs> Sorry,
1: I've got fuzzy memories that time.
0: <laughs> I can't wait to have you more often to talk more about wine and breaking stuff down and just even the the, the passion of the business because there's something that that we have like the three of us at this table can sit around and talk for another three hours. About the, pat- three the hours passion, the passion of the business. Oh yeah, we're about three hours in. Holy Are we really? Almost at three hours? Yeah. Holy crap! So, no way! Wow. So so, where does someone come and find you? When someone's listening to this in Thailand, because I know someone in Thailand's listening. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the guy listening in Thailand. <laughs> where? Where?
1: Yeah, seriously, I uh, I have you a bottle of wine if you ever make it out here. All right, oh, so yeah.
0: so, where do they come find you? So. So well, I'm at, uh, I,
1: I'm at uh, the Fairmont Scottsdale Princess, uh, North Scottsdale off Princess Road. I'm at uh, Bourbon Steak. It's a Michael Mina restaurant that's in there. Um, more than likely, you'll find me in there, uh, you know, uh, around doing something. And earlier you talked about, uh, you know, I just want to some. I don't want to do everything. Um, Sure, the uh, the doing the schedules and the sommelier stuff and everything else, but a really good sommelier should be doing everything on the floor. They should be bussing tables. They should be running food. They should be getting someone a coke. They, I mean, you'll find me doing everything. I'm usually the best dress busser out there because you're, you're the <laughs> you're the ultimate ambassador for the restaurant, uh, right? Yeah, you need to ultimately. That's what it comes down to, and. Me making someone's experience isn't only their wine; it's everything. You know, if i if you drop a fork, what am I going to do? Hey, you go get that. No, I'm going to go pick it up. Go put another one in a marking tray. Go go set them up. You know, I mean, what kind of person would I be if you know I'm barking at someone else to do that? Plus, your staff sees you doing
2: everything, and all of a sudden they'll respect you more and listen more to you.
0: So, and when are you sitting for your master? Uh, when are you starting this this journey? This so next step. I'm supposed
1: to be getting official word uh, here in the next couple days. Um, hopefully it should be good, but July 22nd is What it's looking like?
0: Awesome. So. Are they going to do that here, or is it somewhere else? You have to travel. Uh, it's going to be
1: in Texas. Okay, so I gotta, I gotta, yeehaw! I gotta go take <laughs> it <off> to Texas. <laughs> do, 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 how many? Enjoy that humanity. How many, <laughs>
0: how many times do they test in the United States?
1: Uh, once, 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 a once, year? once a year. So they'll, they, they do, uh, they do one theory. Uh, they usually split it in, uh, in different locations. This time it's only going to be one, and then uh, they are going to, um, yeah. Then after that. They do uh, theory and tasting separate. So, or excuse me, they do uh, tasting and practical separate. So you do your uh, your theory first. Once you pass that, then you're able to have a crack at the other two parts. And I think they do that September, um, St. Louis, where they did it last year. I'm pretty sure that's where they're doing it this year. Uh, but you need to pass theory before you can even do the other ones. But they only offer the exam in its entirety once every well, year.
0: I know you're going to be knee deep in studying, but I hope you can come on between now and July twentieth and I, do this again with us and talk I would more be about honored. the passion of food and wine and. If we could help you study in some way, let us know. But this has just been so much fun sitting here and talking a- a- about wine. Absolutely and- amazing. Totally.
1: Yeah. totally. You know what? Next time, uh, food and wine pairing. That's something sommeliers are very weak at. I'd love to address that. Yeah,
0: so. definitely. Ooh, absolutely. I'm so. totally down with that. Maybe we could bring some uh, funky cowgirl cheeses that we can't remember yes. the names of. Some goat cheeses to go with these. <laughs> I'm in. So really awesome, cool. Man. So Jason Caballero. Did I say that right? Yeah, Caballero. You got it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, find you. him up at the uh, Fairmont. In the name of the restaurant again?
1: Uh, bourbon Steak.
2: Bourbon Steak. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, oh, man. man. Thank you guys. It's been it, great. It, Thanks it for sharing awesome. an awesome wine. Oh,
1: anytime. Cool, appreciate buddy. it,
2: guys. Thanks for everybody for listening. Yeah. Sweet. Thanks.
1: Have a
3: good one.